This episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by the wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash Jackson. Some personal heroes of mine, such as Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew, Zolgeek, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, Rob Shack, and many more have all chosen to support the show by kicking me a few bucks a month. And I appreciate all of you very much. Listeners, you can be just like them. Once again, that address was patreon.com slash realdavejackson. All supporters on Patreon get bonus episodes and the ability to vote in polls for games to appear on the show. Supporters at the $5 per month level also get my bonus retro game series called Tales from the Way Backlog. The game of the month this month is Zelda 2 Adventure of Link. With all that being said... Any and all support in any forms is always appreciated, and let us get on to the episode today about Final Fantasy VI. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. It's a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to take a game out of the backlog, play it, talk about our experiences. My guest today is a friend of the show, one of my co-hosts on a top three podcast and cider enthusiast, Aaron Angle. Welcome back. You say cider enthusiast? I did. Yeah. Oh, I love me some cider. What up, everybody? (laughs) <laughs> you and that old man who's drinking wine or beer or something, but they had to change it to cider for the uh, the North American version of the game. It gives me less heartburn, so that's yeah. funny. Oh, I just got the joke. That's funny. Good job. Yeah. Dude. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy VI. Final Fantasy VI is an RPG developed and published by Square for the Super Nintendo in 1994, originally released as Final Fantasy III. But now that They got their shit together. It's Final Fantasy VI for everybody. So if you haven't played Final Fantasy VI, don't worry, because we're not going to spoil what happens in the story until the spoiler section in the back half of this podcast. So if you haven't played, you can check down in the show notes. You'll find a timestamp for when the spoilers start flying for Final Fantasy VI. And this uh, this game does some really cool stuff that we're going to talk about in the spoiler section. So you definitely don't want to have that spoiled for you if you're at all interested in playing the game. So... Elevator pitches. If somebody has not played Final Fantasy VI, how are we going to pitch it to them? I say that this is a classic RPG with an ensemble cast, an iconic villain, and the world's coolest dog name. Aaron, what would you say? (laughs) Well, agreed on the coolest dog name, obviously. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, uh, you know, and I feel like, you know, I maybe said a little bit about uh, something similar to this in, you know, in our Chained Echoes episode, but if you if you like a good JRPG, to me, this game is this game is the gold standard, right? This is what ushered in not only mine, but I feel like a lot of people's like interest in RPGs, uh, you know, sp- specifically JRPGs, because that's all that existed back then. Uh, but a, a, a great soundtrack, great set of characters, great story, super fun battle system, super fun magic system. 
it's 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 campy it's 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 silly it's just it's got a lot going on for a game that came out 30 years ago almost yeah so uh if, if you're a big fan of rpgs and you haven't played this one this one has this is like one of the the og rpgs that everybody will always talk about this is what i think kind of you know there were always rpgs and stuff before this game but this is the game to me that i think really opened a lot of people to the idea that video games can also be this you know it doesn't have to be a frog crossing the street or an italian guy jumping on turtles it can also be <laughs> a, a very rich story and 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 have great music and characters and and it and really make you play a game and make it feel like you're reading through a book so i i, I talked a little bit too much right there but i i can't say enough good things about this game it's maybe my favorite game of all time um oh, yeah. if you're an rpg fan i imagine you already have played it but if it's you're trying to get into the genre this is one of those games that I think would pique that interest in you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's just get into personal histories uh, right away then. So, I mean, you you said that this kind of got you into the genre a little bit. When did you first play it? I assume you first played it on the Super Nintendo because you, you still call it Final Fantasy 3 sometimes, right? <laughs> Almost all the time. Actually, it's really weird you bring that up. I And you and I talking about this. I have just been calling it Final Fantasy VI. Like, you know, I only called it Final Fantasy III because that's what it said on the cartridge, so that's what it was. Right. But but nowadays, nobody refers to it as Final Fantasy III. So uh, my brief history of the game when I was growing up, uh, my stepfather, Jim, a couple of his uh, nieces and nephews lived with us, and the oldest one, his name was Clint, he had this on Super Nintendo, and I would watch him play it all day long just sitting back watching him you know uh fight the fights and you know reading everything of the the dialogue between the characters and i was just obsessed the minute i got a super nintendo it was the very first game i bought um so yeah it, not really anything crazy but yeah i had a super nintendo i wasn't really in rpgs at that point but i was so infatuated with just watching my older cousin play this game that i i knew as soon as i got a super nintendo you have to be able to experience this as a player and not just you know an observer yeah you're not the first person to uh to talk about watching somebody play final fantasy as your first experience with it like um uh our mutual friend mo uh who's one of my college roommates um same thing said that he he as far as i if i remember right talked about how he'd watch his brother play final fantasy 6 and just just watch because your know, older brother is not going to let him play the game, but you can watch. You know, <laughs> I, I would I would trick my cousins like so I would be playing Final Fantasy six and uh, they would be like, well, I really want to play. And I had a second controller. So I would like unplug the second control or plug in the second controller and tell them they were I was like, OK, you're going to be you're going to be lock. Right. So I'll just tell you what buttons to push and they'll do it on screen. And they weren't doing shit. But uh, it was it was always really funny to have my little like, you know, I have my cousin Kylie who also likes RPGs because she watched me play, you know, Final Fantasy six and 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 Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy seven. So I do think that is kind of a part of it, you know, like like it, uh, absorbing it as an observer and then seeing if that's something that does, you know, gauge your interest in any way. But yeah, yeah, I hate Mo. Hate that guy. <laughs> Shout out to Mo if he's listening to this. Uh for me. Love you, love you buddy. Yeah. Um I didn't have a Super Nintendo growing up. Uh so the first time I played this was on the Game Boy Advance. And that apparently that version came out in like two thousand five or something like that. So that's the earliest I would have played that. Uh, so I played it, got close to the end, but never beat it. I remember how far I got. 
And then in like 2013 or so, I played the Game Boy Advance version again, got close to the end, never beat it. I can still see the part where I stopped playing in my head. But like, yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why I was so eager to play it. It was probably because you mentioned it, to be honest. Like if that's the first time I played it in high school, it's probably because you mentioned it, you know? Yeah, I mean, more than likely. And also, like, I've also started the game and not beaten it multiple times as well. It is a it is a long, long video game. Yeah. It's yeah. it's very long for what it is. Yeah. Speaking of, um, so this time around I played the Super Nintendo version on my 3DS. Uh, don't ask me how I did that because there's no legal way to do that. Uh, but it took me about 40 hours. And that was with, um, I did, I didn't do completionist shit. I didn't touch some of the optional stuff. I missed a bunch of optional story content, but I feel like I did a lot of stuff. I got all the characters and stuff, 40 hours. So not a, not a short game. Yeah, and I've probably, you know, I haven't played this game in a long time, so my memory's a little fuzzy on some of the stuff we might be talking about, but 40-hour game minimum, like, you know, without doing everything, I've probably beaten this game 10 or 11 times in my life. I have put more time into playing Final Fantasy VI than I did studying for any test, all combined tests from sixth (laughs) grade until, uh, until, you know, I left Athens. So, yeah, but again, if you're an RPG person, that's not going to bother you. Yeah, yeah. You know what you're getting into when you when you see the title Final Fantasy, you know what's up. Um, yep. I did beat the game this time. Uh, this time I played it. I finally beat it for the first time. I was very happy to see the end because I didn't I never went and like looked up the end on YouTube. I wasn't I mean, I thought I knew what would happen, but I didn't know what would happen. And uh, to get into some kind of opening thoughts here about the game. Um, for a long time, I would have said that this was my favorite uh RPG along with Final Fantasy X, they're kind of one A, one B. And I was a little bit nervous going back to it this time because, like you said, we did an episode about Chained Echoes a couple months ago now. And Chained Echoes was super, super heavily inspired by Final Fantasy VI. And it was really fucking good. Like it had all modern quality of life stuff on top of just being like a really, really great game. So I was kind of worried, like go back to final fantasy six, something that's almost 30 years old. Now, how am I going to feel about the lack of those quality of life things and how the battle system can kind of devolve into just teach everyone the best magic. We'll talk about that stuff later. And I was happy to see that this time playing it, Still really fucking good. Final Fantasy VI rocks. It holds up. A lot of that modern quality of life stuff is taken care of if you buy the Pixel Remaster version too. Uh, You can turn off random encounters. You can do experience boosts. You can uh, do fast forward. All that stuff that'll kind of help you get through it a little bit smoother. I didn't have any of that on this playthrough. I still fucking loved it. So I'm I'm happy to say um, it's still going to be at the top of my RPG list probably forever. Um, I think this is the best story that Final Fantasy has ever done as far as the games I've played. Uh, even Final Fantasy X, which is right up there at the top, I don't think the story is quite as good uh, as this one. It's still good, but not quite as good. Anyway, I'm rambling. This game rules. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, oh no, 100%. And this has kind of been like the ongoing like mental battle I've always had for myself. It's like, what is... And, and every gamer asks themselves this question, you know, what is the best video game of all time? Like, right. Or what, what is your favorite video game of all time? And I've always fluctuated between just, excuse me, depending on my mood, 
Is it Final Fantasy VII or is it Final Fantasy VI? And I think each of them has their own argument as to why they would be my favorite game. However, what you said that was correct is this does have the best story. And is it a little silly and and, and somewhat convoluted? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to approach this as kind of like, you know, how I experienced it when I experienced it for the first time that I could understand all the little things that were going on uh, in the story. And I, I, yeah, like I said, some days I'll tell you enough, Final Fantasy VII has the best story, but Final Fantasy VI just has so many good characters and so many good side missions. And, and it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a beginning, middle and end. It's, it's not very confusing. They wrap up stories and characters learn lessons. And, you know, at at the end of the day, Final Fantasy VI probably is my favorite video game of, of all time, which speaks wonders to it because 600 million video games have come out since it did so but yeah i'm I'm right there with you dave it's just absolutely masterful rpg experience yeah absolutely and i can't wait to get into it so we're going to listen to a little bit of the music the music is fantastic so everybody enjoy that when we come back we're going to set up the story So in Final Fantasy VI, this is set in a kind of industrial revolution type setting. A magic used to exist in the world, but does not exist anymore. So people freak out if they see magic, uh, which is weird because you start doing magic like an hour into the game. Almost uh, but, immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, the civilization's kind of in jeopardy because there's an empire headed by Emperor Gestal that is ever expanding and encroaching on territories and stuff like that so gestal his magical jester kefka start to cause problems for people uh you play as uh, you begin the game as Locke, who's a member of this resistance group called the returners and that's kind of how we'll set up the story for now uh you have this empire versus resistance kind of plot at the beginning and then like we said magic starts to get introduced and uh we'll talk about more plot details in the spoiler section. What I want to talk about, a couple things about the story, that eventually Kefka, pretty quickly, Kefka becomes the the bigger threat than the Emperor. And feeling like I need to explain Kefka on a, a video game podcast like this, I'm not I don't know if I actually need to. Kefka's pretty iconic. May not be as iconic as Sephiroth in Final Fantasy, but in my opinion, Kefka is a a better villain than Sephiroth. Uh, I think he's the best villain in any Final Fantasy game that I've played. I've played like 10 of them at this point. Uh, Kefka's such an icon. He's so incredibly evil. And the thing that I want to say about Kefka is like, Kefka is evil for the sake of being evil. There is no depth to Kefka. There's no like empathizing with Kefka's actions. Like, you know, you might want that from a villain from time to time. 
in this game, Kefka is just like level 100, the most evil fucking dude ever. And I think it, they really pull it off. Yeah, strong, uh, strong Joffrey Baratheon vibes from this guy. Literally, <laughs> yeah. like, like no, like this man is just fueled by. He, he's got the poison blood. He, he is literally just fueled by power and malice and death. And I, I, I don't think Kefka is the best Final Fantasy bad guy. I do like, you know, I don't think he has many layers that you can peel back, like you can say about Sephiroth, right? And I, who I think is the best video game bad guy. I do think in order to be, you know, called the best, you have to be able to empathize and blah, blah, blah. But Dave is right. It is from the beginning. This guy is a dick. What's this in South Park? Don't, <laughs> don't talk to Scott. Scott's a dick. Like in yeah. Final Fantasy VI, everybody's like, oh, no, 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 no. Kefka's a fucking dick, dude. You have no idea. And throughout yeah. the game, you experience those things. I will say Kefka is on the Mount Rushmore of great video game bad guys. 100%. Especially with the amount of time. Like, it, it's really weird in some video games how you don't really fight the bad guy a whole lot and you don't come into you know you like physical contact with the bad guy a whole lot until pretty much the end of the game kefka is fucking your shit up at every turn all game long he's he's always there when you don't want him to be he always makes things hard and the one thing i'll always remember about kefka is his like iconic like laugh That yeah, like laugh. Weird li- that clown laugh, and when you hear that shit on the Super Nintendo as a nine-year-old kid, you are literally taken out of that experience. You're like, "That is creepy. I have yeah. never heard that sound before." So yeah, no, all, all, <laughs> all about all about Kefka as a great bad guy, great final boss fight too. You know what I mean? So he 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 definitely does have like a little bit of a, a, a little bit of depth. Like when you kind of find out a little bit about like his backstory and how he came to be and who he actually is, but he is running on pure spite that is that is what that that is what that clown is and that's the other scary thing about him he's literally a clown yeah he's just he's a clown yeah i said i said he's a jester for the empire but he's he's a clown and so he's a killer clown he's he's a scary killer clown clown with a scary laugh so like when i first started and like in the first couple hours when i was thinking about Kefka and like where the story's going and stuff that I kind of, I mean, it's my third time playing it. I know where the story is going. Um, I, I did kind of agree that like Kefka needs to be knocked down a bit because there is not much depth to Kefka. He's just evil. But then as the story goes on and you see all like the depths to which he is evil, it kind of turned me back around to like, no, Kefka is on the Mount Rushmore Sephiroth could never dream of doing some of the things that Kefka does. Uh, you know, I my thoughts on Final Fantasy VII are, are a topic for another podcast, but Kefka is on that Mount Rushmore. Just the icon, the laugh. I think, like you said, it's a really because um, this is the Super Nintendo. They're making they they can't cut in a voice sample of someone laughing, so it's made with like just the the chip tunes, the chip music that they could do. It's it's really great. And it's a really simple laugh, but like when you hear that, because often you'll hear it when Kefka's off screen, when you hear that laugh, you're like, oh, fuck. Kefka's <laughs> here. Yeah. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Dave, go ahead, and do, go ahead and do your impression of that laugh. If you do it, I'll do mine. Okay. 
Yeah, that's that's It's fucking <laughs> horrifying. And uh, we can move on from Kefka, but you hit it exactly on the head. Exactly what I was going to say. There is depth, but it's not depth to his character. It's depth to his evilness, like how yeah. he's getting more and more fucked up as the game goes on. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other famous thing about Final Fantasy VI's story and characters is that there really isn't a main character for the game. There's a group that are the main characters that are involved in the story more than others. But the perspective on who like the main protagonist is shifts throughout the game. So all told, if you look at the story in, in totality, there isn't one person that you can point to and say like, this is definitively Locke's story or Tara's story or Celis's story. It's, uh, it's a group effort and it's a true group effort. And the way that like different parts of the game will focus on different characters and then like maybe you'll take a break and you'll pick up their story back in the second half. Um, it, it's really cool. I, I like that like they, I think this was a, a goal that they said when they were writing the game to to make it without a main protagonist. And, you know, when you think about some of the other Final Fantasy games that come later that have like, defined main protagonists i think this is a a really good choice uh in comparison and you know to be to be completely frank i always looked at tara as the main character like you know she is the crux to solving most of the big problems that the main characters solve so final fantasy 6 was the the first game uh at least in the final fantasy series where you could like switch who you wanted to be walking around on the screen or this and that. And you're completely right. Uh, you know, they do shift perspective in the game a lot. You know, one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about is like how many playable characters there actually are and whether or not that's something that like is attractive or not. I think for this game specifically, it is because everybody's got a side story. You have 12 or 13 characters, all of them except for maybe one do have extra stuff you can do to uh, unlock their final powers. And they, they all have backstories. I, I always looked at Tara as, as the main character, but I, I do see how like you could probably make the argument for like four of them probably being the main characters. Yeah. So Tara to just to give a little introduction for some of the big main players. Um, Tara is this mysterious woman who uh, was brainwashed by the empire into fighting for them. Uh, the beginning of the game has you uh, kind of control Tara in this, this iconic opening crawl to the game where they're in these mechs marching through the snow and the, uh, the theme song is playing while they're going up there. It's a really iconic opening to the game. I, I absolutely love it. Um, so you have Tara, you quickly, you meet Locke, who is a thief, uh, who swears that he's not a thief. Um, you have Celis, who is a defector from the empire. She was a general in the empire. Um, she can use magic, which is, uh, noteworthy in the game. So can Tara. Um, you have Sabin and Edgar who are brothers from, uh, this, uh, Edgar's the king of Figaro. Sabin is his brother who left for a long time. Um, and then you have uh, Cyan. We'll we'll just kind of cut it there for characters you meet real early in the game, who's kind of a, a samurai type. And I kind of get what you're saying about Terra being the protagonist for a while, but then there's a point where the focus does shift on somebody else. So 
some characters are more important than others, of course, but the way that they shift the focus is really cool. And I think they pulled that off. To kind of comment on the number of characters, there's 14 that you can get for your party. And you're going to need, um, well, actually, you you don't need them all, but it will make your your life a lot easier real late in the game. Um, I always wondered if this was a good thing that there were so many characters, uh, because when when I had played previously, there were always like five or six that I just like didn't pay t- attention to. They didn't seem important. Their battle usage was not great. This time around, I kind of came around on most of them. So I think that there are a couple of like joke characters that probably the pros would say are really great, but I never used. So I ended up thinking like, yeah, there's a lot of characters, but they do they do the work for most of them, giving them backstories and stuff. So I'm in. I, I like the 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 large cast. Yeah, and you know, I if you would ask me the same questions about chain decos, I would have said no. There were too many characters. I had already figured out the game. I, I, with a, uh, you know, when I was, you know, ten years old or whatever, playing this for the first time, like getting a new character and fucking with their powers, and you know, I, I've always been a grinder, so I was really strong pretty much all the time. So I could just kind of plug in any piece and mess with them. I remember one time when I was in college, I uh, I, I got a run with Gogo. And I just used Gogo a whole bunch, and he, I thought he was absolutely awesome. Hey, everybody says Gao is really good and a great game breaker. I fucking hate Gao. I don't give a shit about Gao, dude. <laughs> I hate that guy, and he annoys me. Uh, even though some of the parts in his story are really sad and touching, but I, I hated using Gao. Um, but I, I, I do think that this game, and uh, along with maybe some other games like like Chrono Cross or Star Ocean, where like I mean, you can. I'm not going to spoil anything, but you don't have to get every character in this game if you don't want to. You can completely bypass them and go on and do your own thing and finish the game. Uh, but with how good the characters were, I was always excited at the prospect of adding another one of them to my party. Specifically with how often they'll split parties into teams in this game. I think there's maybe like seven instances throughout this game where they, they, <laughs> they split you up or like make you, you know, form your own teams to, you know, beat a level or f- fight a big fight or something like that. So I, if there is one game where I'm like 14, you know, main playable characters, I'll figure out a way to use all of them. I, I liked how, how at least final fantasy six did that. Yeah. There's counting in my head. There's at least three times where they make you split your parties up and control them independently uh, to get through a dungeon or uh, to do these um, kind of like real time strategy sections. There's at least two of those where you have to position your parties to to fight advancing enemies and stuff like that. It's really creative and uh, especially for this time, um, that was good. So th- it's something that like when I did my Chrono Trigger episode. I said I loved about Chrono Trigger how small the group was, and it was really focused. This group is a lot bigger, but each character still does get the focus. Um, and Chrono Trigger is a much shorter game than this anyway, so there's there's more room to play with that stuff, except for a couple that I, I, I just think are total jokes in this game. But uh, not to dive into that too much. You mentioned at the beginning kind of in your opening thoughts here about Final Fantasy VI, that the game is really goofy and campy. And I want to expand on that and talk about like how this game is presented. I think this game is presented almost as a play. 
it, it's told in a very theatrical way and the characters are very uh self-aware almost like actors on a stage like sometimes they will look at the camera and laugh or they'll look at the camera and make a big announcement uh, or a speech or something like that or like before a character does a um an action like they're they're gonna do something and show off their muscles or they're going to pick a lock. They'll like turn around and look at the camera and like do a wink and then turn around and do the thing. And it's all very theatrical and it, it, um, it, it lends this game like a really interesting tone that I've ne- haven't seen again in final fantasy, but like in gaming at large, it's pretty unique to this game. I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 100% of play. It's like uh it's like super Mario brothers too where you know you see the curtain every time you pick a character and things are set up like it's like a, a stage maybe it's super mario brothers 3 uh but there are and not only like the whole like hey it's kind of like they're in the office sometimes where they'll like look at the camera and blush or blah 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 when you and without spoiling anything when you beat the game it does like a stereotypical credits ending where it's like hey, like there was this character and then it shows him do something. And there was this character and it shows him do something. And then the very last character they say is, and thanks to you, the player. <laughs> like, so so they are with that specific moment. I'll always remember because it was like that to me is like breaking the fourth wall the most. Like the game is now at this very, very like epic moment where you just finished the game and you're seeing how all the characters stories close. They make it a point to be like, no, and you're a part of this too. Hooray. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I do, I do really like that. You know, I, I don't think it takes away anything from the game or story to look at it in that context. And I actually think, think it's really cool. I mean, dude, you could even like talk about how, you know, many different kinds of like music there or how many different kinds of like music like that is shown throughout the game and different mm-hmm. parts. And, and there are uh, uh, reprises of different songs done in different ways, exactly like what you would see if you went and saw like a Broadway musical, like the characters are very grandiose, like Kefka himself is just a silly, scary clown who laughs like the whole thing is super duper theatrical. Look at the dialogue, super theatrical, nothing special, but it gets the point across succinctly, very quickly, and it's it's almost written as if it's a play as well, not just portrayed as it. And I love that about this game. I love it when games do stuff like that, uh, but specifically with an RPG of this magnitude and this length to be able to to be able to like keep that up the whole game without really taking you out of it, like. Like you're like you're pissed off about it or something is not easy to do, and it, the game did it perfectly. Yeah, there's a big like mix of tones here because with the theatrical tone, you have that that silliness and that campiness. You also have a lot of like tragedy in this game. It's one of the sadder and like darker Final Fantasy Truth. games that I've played. Truth. Not like um, some of like the more edge lord stuff uh, in Final Fantasy seven <laughs> and eight that I've seen, but like this this is a game where. Car- characters go through like real tragedy. Actually, most of the characters have some kind of like colossal failure or trauma or like death in their backstory, or maybe it's something that happens like within the events of the game that you play and you're dealing with that. You know, most of the characters have to find a reason to carry on or find purpose or find love or acceptance or whatever in their stories. But all the while you do have this like theatrical and campy tone to the whole thing. And I think that they pull it off really well because when it's time to be silly, 
it's time to be silly, like when Ultros, uh, the octopus shows up, uh, versus when it's time for tragedy and destruction and shit, that's played off with the correct tone. So it's, it's a really cool mix. Yeah, no, totally agree. Said everything I was going to say, man. Like it has the, it is the silliest of silly as far an RPG goes, but there are some moments that like me playing as a 10 year old, I was like, this is heavier than I actually know how to emotionally process. Like only, I can only play this as an adult and be like, damn, that's actually really fucked up. And the Ultros thing is funny because he's so silly. And then they'll throw you into like a really fucking hard boss fight if you're not prepared for it. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this was still this was still back in an era where like video games were seen as like kids toys more than an art form yeah. by like mm-hmm. the larger public. There are some story beats in Final Fantasy 6 that are downright tragic that will that will make anyone cry that has like any kind of connection to the stories uh in the game. So it's <laughs> it it is really cool and then of course contrast that with when the talking octopus shows up and uh, makes fun of your party and then runs away when you hit him with fire, you know, (laughs) I love Daltro so much, dude. Yeah. And I like how without spoiling, he just ends up having a job as like a uh, receptionist. (laughs) Yeah. The, the, the other thing I want to like say about the story to give the story credit um, with this many characters, 14 characters in a long runtime, 40 hours, and being a Final Fantasy game and being a JRPG, I think the story is really clean and like neatly woven together. I, there are like side stories and stuff that don't tie into the overall plot. But when I'm looking back at all the stuff that I saw, I can't really think of like, hey, you know, this this story spun out of control and then the ending was stupid because they spun out of control like a couple other Final Fantasy games that I've beaten. This one, it all makes sense. Like the whole way through the quest that you're on, it all makes sense. The mini like plot beats along the way, they make sense. The character stories, they make sense. It was a pleasant surprise after like uh, I did an episode on Final Fantasy IX a little while ago. I don't think that that story uh, wrapped up in a very good way. Uh, I think the last third of that game is kind of a mess. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, I feel the same way. This one's super neat. It all goes right along the tracks the way that I think it should. Yeah, and it's because they put a lot of emphasis on like not only like the plot but like the importance of the characters, right? Yeah, it, exactly. it, wrap, yeah. It, it it wraps up nicely because they do such a good job of teaching and showing you who these characters are that you could literally do anything and it would make sense like within the realm of that. You know, when, when you are that absorbed into the characters, when the characters are that well done, like as long as it makes sense within the story, it, it's going to be cool because you give a shit about them already. Uh, one more thing I'll say before we, if, if we're going to move on from this, it's not only just like the playable characters that are awesome and the main bad guy that's awesome. There are a slew of very interesting and deep side characters in the game like like bannon or 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 sid or or who's that swordsman siegfried like you you know there there Mm -hmm. are a lot of just random characters that are not in the game a whole bunch that have huge huge in general leo that have huge impacts on the story uh and you never get to use them at all they're just kind of around sometimes and they're also awesome The, the the story is fine like if you were to have like a a 10th grader explained the story. It might not sound that good, but the characters are so excellent. They're just so wonderfully crafted that 
the story that I find again kind of campy and 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 a little weird at times, I still give a shit because I give a shit about who I'm playing as and who they're rea- interacting with. Yeah, exactly. The the main plot itself has a couple of really iconic things that happen, but the emphasis on like what's going on in the individual character stories with their backstories and how they deal with those in the present time, that's really where like the big focus is. And I think that that's pulled off really, really well. So, Correct. Yep. Yeah. Anything else about the story before we move on? Ooh, the dog has the best name. Oh, yeah. The dog's name is Interceptor, which is fucking badass. It's that's incredible. So and the dog, <laughs> I, I didn't even say the dog is a Siger. That dog does so many cool fucking things, man. We didn't even talk about Shadow. Yeah, uh, we didn't I, talk we, we, We'd be yeah. going at this for six hours, dude, straight up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's a lot of characters, and we we kind of mentioned the ones you meet super early on. There is a ninja that you meet named Shadow. He has a, a Doberman named Interceptor, which is, again, it's too many Fucking syllables for awesome. me to name my own dog Interceptor, but it's a badass name. So you mentioned the music earlier and the use of leitmotif, character themes, uh, melodies that keep getting brought back in different situations throughout. So let's just talk about that music. Uh, the score, of course, by the great uh, Nobuo Uematsu, the uh, the master of the, the Final Fantasy series. Yeah, the GOAT. This is, of course, using the Super Nintendo sound chip. So a lot of like the other Uematsu stuff that's been done later and later uh, has more instrumentation, like actual real instrumentation, as opposed to this uh, on the uh, the Super Nintendo sound chip. I think that having played in the last like several years, having played seven, seven remake, uh, Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy IX, uh, a little bit of twelve, a little bit of fifteen, and uh, now coming back and playing six again, six is my favorite soundtrack by him. Uh, it's partly to do with the limitations of like how they could make it sound. But I just think that like the melodies, the famous songs are just iconic from this. Uh, and you mentioned all, a lot of the different styles throughout uh, used. So this is something I really liked about the Final Fantasy IX soundtrack as well. But the uh it just hits a little bit different for me maybe there's something nostalgic and uh just something I, i'll always love about the way super nintendo sound um, songs sound but you've got classical influences here you've got heavy metal you've got fucking like ragtime and like oh my god and shit. <laughs> i'm glad you brought that ragtime song like when, when the little what is that what's that frog creature like comes on the screen it's like yeah i'm just like yes <laughs> yes, I never knew how much I wanted a good ragtime tune. I, I didn't know how much I wanted piano, not piano, piano in a video <laughs> game until they did that. I uh, I'm going to just break my uh, hyperbolic streak on this pocket. I'm not going to say that this is the best video game soundtrack of all time. Okay, I yeah yeah I'm gonna chill. I love it. 
I, I do think Final Fantasy VII has a be- has a better soundtrack, personally. You know, uh, but I'm I'm with you, Dave. I'm I'm, I'm attracted to that that MIDI file like sound. You know what I mean? That those Super Nintendo games had. Uh, but yeah, the the one thing, and you know, I mentioned it, you know, briefly when we were talking about you know how this is structured as a play. Like I am a slut for a good slow reprise of a character theme when they are faced with a huge moment. You know, that's the mm-hmm. other thing about this is every one of these final fantasy games, <clears throat> excuse me, they have every character has a theme. Every character in this game has a theme too. the bad, all the bad guys, they have themes as well. Like, so there is a lot, I feel like, you know, while it's not <laughs> or, or orchestrated or anything like that, I feel like, and I can't pronounce his name. Uh, I feel like he put like way more work into you know the amount of stuff that he had to do in this game as opposed to some of the others. Now I haven't played Final Fantasy Nine in twenty years, but you know, so m- maybe that one if you liked it so much. But I, 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 I do. I love the soundtrack of this game. The happies are happy. The sillies are silly. The sads are sad, and they background the game really, really well. Yeah, you mentioned the character themes. So do you have any character themes that just kind of kind of jump out Ooh. at you as being favorites? Uh, no. I mean not not I I really I I I really really like Locke's theme. And Locke is not one of my favorite characters. Uh when I think of the music in this game and I'm not trying to jump into something that you don't want to talk about now, but I think of the opera scene and yeah, there is yeah, and and to me I think that is arguably one of the coolest scenes coolest things you can play through in any sort of video game and uh you call her Celis, i call her Celise. this is what it is when we talk games like this everybody's got a different thing uh Uh, but there is a and i'm not going to talk about it there is a huge moment with Celise in the back half of the game and the music that is backgrounding this struggle that she's going through is the opera house song and you yeah. know, li- little shit like that h- hits me on another level, dude. So I, I don't know if I would, I, I don't think that's Salise's theme, but that the, the opera house song specifically and how they use it in different parts of the game, uh, involving Salise going forward. That's probably what sticks out to me the most. And also Mo- Mog's theme. Very cute. Yeah. Mog's theme is really fucking weird. It's, it's great. Like it's, it's so off the wall compared to <laughs> so many of the other ones. It's real good. That opera song does kind of come back as, you know, events that happen within that opera start to, uh, or like feelings and emotions um, are happening in her real life too. So that it does come back in that way. It does kind of become her theme sometimes. Um, I really love uh, Edgar's theme, oh, Edgar and Sabin uh, together. Just that kind of that regal castle music is really great. And um, yeah, Locks is uh, like an all timer. I think Locks theme, other stuff that really stands out the, the battle theme, it doesn't change. It's the same battle for the theme for the entire game. It's awesome though. It's, it's my favorite final fantasy battle track. Uh, it's really good. It's like a it's a metal song basically turned into uh, Super Nintendo music. It's great. Yeah, it starts off with a distortion pedal, like <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah, uh, the the boss theme. Um, I forget what it's actually titled, but I'll put it in the episode somewhere. is is really great. And um, one of the more famous tracks from the game, "Dancing Mad," which is this seventeen minute like. Uh, fucking like opera of its of its its you know of its own this like moving from like classical music to a fucking dream theater song to like church organs all throughout like different movements of this this fight that you're doing 
It's a really famous thing. It might be like one of the more impressive things that Uematsu has ever done. But wall to wall, this soundtrack really stands out. It's it's my favorite. There's other songs um, from other Final Fantasy games that I like put up with stuff from this game. And these songs, I think, are a bit simpler than some of the other stuff that comes later as, you know, you had more than a more than a handful of like, um, what do they call that like tracks to work with on the Super Nintendo, you could have like an entire fucking orchestra in Final Fantasy 15. But I don't know, these just stand out. They're so they're so iconic. Yeah, 100% right. The overworld theme. I love, uh, you know, yeah. and like depending on where you are in the game and what has happened to the world at that point, the the overworld music changes when you're on the belt where you find mm-hmm. Gao. Uh, that music's cool as fuck. The overworld map changes or the overworld theme uh, changes for that, too. So, uh, like I said, if, if you're going to give me like a good RPG and you're going to portray it in a theatrical sense, the music has to do something to add to what you're doing and this game it not only does it do it like really well but it, it it like catches you unexpectedly with with different reprises like i've said and like i said when you go on the velt for the first time or you're doing a scenario thing and the ragtime music starts playing sometimes the music catches you off guard and completely changes the entire tone of where you thought you were in the game so when the game gets dark the music's dark when the game is silly the music's silly it's 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 front to back incredible yeah, that's a really good point because this is a Super Nintendo game. Obviously, it doesn't have voice acting. So a lot of the emotion that you get from the story comes from the music that's playing during those scenes too. Of course, like the actual events that are happening, the plot, the dialogue will give you some of that too. But I I do think the music has to carry a heavier load in games like this that don't have voice acting uh, to get that emotion across. And thinking about some of those like some of those iconic emotional scenes from this game, the music is carrying a lot of that, uh, like in that opera, like uh, a, a couple of <laughs> famous things to talk about in the spoiler section. Um, the opera song has the first uh, the same opening like note, the do do do, same as uh, I think it's Tifa's theme in Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII, yep. which mm-hmm. is also. Uh, a really great song so like god tier song my favorite final fantasy sevens mm, yeah it's real good so the music fucking slaps uematsu was just firing on all cylinders talk a little bit about how it looks uh this is a super nintendo game of course so looks like a super nintendo game the uh the sprite work is really great i think they're able to convey emotions from your characters with these little sprites like their eyes bug out when they're surprised or when they're um you know when they're shocked you can see their mouth open wide uh little expressive things like that that kind of play into that theatrical tone but also give you their emotions the main thing I took away, like paying attention to the visuals in this, is that the the enemy designs are really awesome, uh, really creative, 
really good sprite work on those. I'm thinking of like what the final boss looks like, and it is a it is just a masterpiece of, it's, of it's pixel a, art. It's an it's work. Yeah, that yeah. is that is a work of art. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like all that to say, I, I think that games that look like this will always look good, um, unless you're I don't know for some reason you hate pixel art, but even within Super Nintendo games. Uh, I think this is some of the best sprite work. This, like Chrono Trigger had some great stuff too, but like, you know, Final Fantasy VI will never look old to me. And I again, I didn't play this in the 90s for the first time. You know, pixel art was not the hot thing when I first played this. I still have, will always think it looks great. Yeah, no, I mean, okay, so like, you know, one other thing that I think is really funny that they do is when they get embarrassed, their faces turn red. I That yeah. always, that always made me giggle as a kid. Uh, but the, the you know, pixel art is pixel art and 16-bit graphics are 16-bit graphics. And I, like you, will always be attracted to them. It's one of the big reasons I'm a huge, uh, like, I- independent game fan. I think there are a lot of people that are making games that look and sound and feel like a game like Final Fantasy VI, and I'll always be attracted to that. Uh, but mm-hmm. the coolest thing about this game is the enemy artwork. Because in in Chrono Trigger, when you're fighting an enemy, they they look just like you. They're they're I don't know the word to use for it, but they're they're on the same like play. They they look like your characters. When a battle in Final Fantasy VI starts, it's your characters looking like they regularly do, and then literally a painting of a badass fucking character. The yeah, enemies yeah. in this game are fucking sick, dude. And I'm talking like the first <laughs> fucking thing you fight in this game is a wolf, and you're like, or, or a dog of some kind, and you're like, oh, okay, a dog. And then it like starts the battle, and it's this giant fucking like terrifying ass wolf. And even though it's a low level character in the game, uh, it still like looks awesome. There's this, there's this scene and where you fight like this, this enemy that is inside of a painting. And I just remember mm-hmm. like playing that as a kid and be like, yo, what the fuck? I had never, <laughs> I had never experienced graphics on that. So I do think final fantasy six has the best graphics on that system besides maybe donkey Kong because it's so wildly or donkey Kong country, uh, because it's so wildly different. But I, uh, Dave hit it right on the head, the, the the enemy design, the boss design. Like you'll see General Leo just walking around like a fucking douche or Kefka walking around like a like a little goofy clown. And then you fight him and it's like, that is the scariest fucking clown I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, so. that's that's um, Yoshitaka Amano, a uh, famous artist and his signature style for uh, character designs um, in this. You can see that, too, in the characters like portraits when you look in the menu and you see that little portrait uh, of them. Yeah, that's that's all that um Amano style, especially with those bosses. They're they're fabulous uh, to look at. The 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 Espers too, we haven't talked about them, but like, you know, even in terms of like if you're just looking at the sprites, if you're just looking at the pixelated characters, they do it better than I think I, I think they did it better than Chrono Trigger. I, I think they did it better than a game like Secret of Mana as well, which is another game that I hold uh, to a very high level as far as a Super Nintendo RPG goes. I still think, you know, you know the backgrounds, when you are... I, I can't spoil anything, but there there are parts of the game where you are uh, up high or you are really down low, and the background makes it look like you're really up high or it makes it look like you're underneath something. And up to that point, I had never seen anything like that like that blew my whole lid off dude so yeah i mean it's a lot more than just the sprites and all that shit but if we're going to talk like straight up graphics for a super nintendo game 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Looks great. Sounds great. Gameplay in Final Fantasy VI is uh, kind of that old-fashioned RPG-style gameplay. You're walking around uh, mostly on this overworld map where you can see the, the towns as these little things. You walk toward them. Uh, you get into random battles along the way. When you get into combat, it is the uh, the kind of the trademark Final Fantasy ATB combat, or the old trademark. Uh, turn-based combat but ATB means that you have this bar that's constantly filling, and when it fills, that's when you get to take your turn. And the enemies also have bars filling up, and they take their turns. So if you are too slow deciding what to do, the enemy might get their turn their turn at, uh, in before you if you don't put your attack in in time. So this takes that turn-based and kind of gives you a little bit of time pressure to make decisions and kind of feel a little bit more engaged with it. Not that I need that from turn-based combat. I don't need that, um, but that's the way it is in this game. The thing that kind of stands out in Final Fantasy VI, opposed to other Final Fantasy games, um, other JRPGs of the time, each character has a unique skill. All characters can attack with a weapon, use magic. Most most of them can learn magic at some point. Uh, you can use items, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But all the characters have a unique skill. So Locke can steal because he's a thief. Edgar uses tools. Sabin has these blitzes where you put in like these Street Fighter combos to do uh, like a fucking Kamehameha or like a a punch flurry or whatever. Um, Cyan has these sword fighting moves. Gao is a blue mage. Shadow can throw stuff. Mog dances. Yeah, Mog dances. <laughs> um all the characters have a move like this. And like, at least in the first half of the game, I think this is really, really great because it gives the characters a personality inside of battle as well as, you know, outside where like they're talking and doing stuff. But when you get into battle, you're like, all right, Edgar's the one with the automatic crossbow. He's a badass. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's love fantastic. Him. So um, what, what did you think about this? Uh, all the characters having their own kind of unique battle abilities well when i played this game this was like at that juncture and we've talked about this a little bit where online games didn't exist and my mother would buy me one game and that would just have to last right so when i played final fantasy 6 i really liked that i could play it in so many different ways you are right it eventually gets to a point where it, it doesn't matter who you use. You're basically using the same attack over and over again if you just really want to get the game over with uh, and your characters are super powerful. But uh, yeah, no, this is, this is fucking awesome, especially with how frequently they split up your party and they take away characters that you get used to. You are almost, you know, and, until again, like the last like 15% of the game, you are forced to use all of these techniques. With Locke, specifically, he can steal. That's super fucking cool. It's always useful. There are certain weapons and there are certain, you know, defensive things and items that you can only get 
from that specific move. I, I was a really big fan of like Celise. She has this move called Runic, where she lifts her sword into the air and the very next magic attack she absorbs completely. Yeah. One of the most mm-hmm. clutch moves in the game. And until the end, I think makes her like extremely overpowered. Um, so I really liked all this stuff, but I was, <laughs> I was, I, I, I've never heard this word before, but I was watching the recap and the guy was talking about realm and he called her a pictomancer, which I thought was, I've never heard that <laughs> word before, but she basically can like, she can, she's a painter and she can paint like the character, like one of the enemies that you're fighting and then use their skills like against them, which is really, really cool. Gao, uh, who I hate and I hate because I hate characters. Like what, what do you call it? What would you call it? Like a blue mage? Is, is that blue what you mage. would call Yeah. yeah where like he, that. where he can copy enemies moves and then use them. It's why he's the most OP player in the game because some moves are just ridiculous, but I hate Gao. Uh, so yeah, there's just a lot of different ways that you can play this game. And when I was a little kid, and I only had like two or three games to switch between that. That's how you would find that sort of en- entertainment in the game is like, well, I'm really bored just using auto crossbow all the time. I wasn't. I'm lying there. I used it all the time. Uh, maybe, <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll just throw in Strago and see what happens here. You know, maybe maybe I'll bring in uh, Shadow because I want to see his dog fight, you know, so it, there there is that level of. I, I want to play the game differently and still have fun. And you could literally, it, Dave's right. They're like two characters. I'm like, nah, not, not worried about it. I don't care about them at all. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you do want to switch it up, you can throw somebody in and toy with it a little bit. And it's almost like a seamless transition. You're still right back to where you were just playing it in a different way. Yeah. So it is fun to experiment with those abilities and see who stands out. I, I think personally, I think that there are like, five or six like clear definitive best characters in in combat even before you get into uh talking about magic stuff but um that that runic ability for celeste is super clutch uh tara has a an ability that makes her like really fucking strong edgar's tools are always useful so like you'll you'll find use with all these different characters and again it, it gives them personality within battle too until the point where you get these items called um, Magicite that you can equip to your characters, uh, which as you battle with these Magicite equipped, you get a second type of experience called AP that helps you learn magic spells. And most characters can equip these. Most characters, like if they can equip them, they can learn any magic that you are able to teach them. And so this is how you learn magic in this. Um, Those also function as summons, but I didn't really use them that way in this game. This kind of um, gives you infinite customization. Basically, any character can become anything you want them to be for the most part, because uh, you also get stat boosts for having these equipped and gaining levels. So if you want to like min-max a team, you can do that with this game. Um, If you want to make all of your characters into the strongest mages possible, you can and probably should do that in this game. So what did you think? What do you think about this, like this customization? Cause they, they went away from this. Uh, Final fantasy seven is kind of like this, but after that, they, they started to go down a more like tailored route with, uh, the way you learn stuff. So I, I'm, I'm a stand for the, I stand for the materia system. I fucking love it. I I think it's perfect. Um, and I, I don't know if we talked about this on here, or if we talked about it on top three about how 
you have the options to learn so many things to where like you'll be in a battle and you're like, I need to find this one move. And you got to scroll for like six or seven seconds because you have 80 spells at your disposal. And Mm -hmm. the, the part that we've talked about is like most of them. Most of them just aren't useful. Like bio is never going to work against a boss. Like, you know, slow and stop. The, these things are going to be super effective. The one thing that I love about the Esper system and the Magicite system is what you said is how, okay, so let's say I want to put Shiva on, right? And I'm going to learn all the ice spells. And I don't remember what her specific trait is, but you also level up stats as you level up these different espers that you have equipped to your party. So like, let's say, okay, this one thing teaches you bio one, two, and three, those suck. But also every time you level it up, it increases your speed by two points or something like that. That is not something that I, that Final Fantasy VII does at, at, at all with the Materia system. So I, I, I don't think it's like overwhelming or anything, but I do think there are way too many options. But I think at some point in the game, you're going to hit a point where you're like, okay, it's time to grind. It's time to make my guys strong because the final battle's coming. And going through and equipping some of these things that'll like increase your strength or your speed or whatever the fuck becomes like really, really important, regardless of the fact that the spells that you're learning really aren't. Yeah, it's so like on one hand, it's nice to be able to control the customization at like this fine level. But at the same time, you do get to a point where, like you said, there's like two magic spells that you want everybody to know. And if you do that and if you level up like semi responsibly, you'll be able to beat the game pretty, pretty easily. If you don't do that, it's going to be a lot harder. So like how how good is the customization system really when all you really want is for everyone to know Ultima at the end of the game? And you, I mean, we've talked about this. We talked about it in the Chain Echoes episode, and you just brought it up again. Uh, you learn a bunch of spells that are basically useless. Like status effects are almost worthless, uh, especially because like regular enemies are not going to be that hard. They're just regular enemies. So why would I waste a turn using a status effect on you know, just some regular things. Bosses are where I want to use status effects. I want to poison a boss. I want to use slow on a boss and it just doesn't fucking work. Like the game is like, you know, good luck using stop on a boss. It's just not going to work. So why would I ever, what is the use of ever learning that spell basically ever trying it out? Yeah, and it's like what I said, the the one thing that uh, <clears throat> makes this, the Esper system, worth it to experiment and make sure everybody's leveled up are those little stat boosts that each of them give you. Whether it's raising your magic points by 1%, your HP, your speed, your strength, while the spell may be useless, and chances are, if it's not Ultima or Haste, it 100% is useless, uh, you're still going to level up your stats that you wouldn't have even if you just grinded to level 99, you know? Yeah. So what this turns into, I said that those like unique abilities for each character are really great in the first half of the game. In the second half of the game, you kind of abandon a lot of them because you can learn really powerful magic and it's just better than the abilities you have, except for Edgar. Except for auto crossbow, baby. Well, well, Edgar... <laughs> You're just the best. I Edgar. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll tell you, man, Dave talked about how you would like have to split up your party into like, you know, groups of three and then like traverse a battlefield fighting enemies one on one. I would make one super team, let's say Terrace Lee, Sabin and Locke. And I that would be my team that's going to fight the boss. And I would take Edgar in a party by himself juiced to the brim with experience and just use auto crossbow and kill everything. <laughs> I could <laughs> probably be any encounter in the game. That's not a boss just with Edgar by himself using auto crossbow I'm yeah. like, and the chain, the chainsaw, the chainsaw is cool, but yeah, like that auto great. crossbow just and everybody's dead. That like that made me horny. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love Edgar yeah. so much. Yeah, this is a game where you are going to grind pretty much have to. Uh, you don't really have to grind much through the like the regular part of the game. Uh, there might be a couple points where you get wiped by a boss and you need to go gain a few levels, but nothing serious. At the end of the game, I had to do real grinding, like take five to ten hours and just grind while watching basketball games and grind and grind, switch uh, Magisite switch equipment on people, uh, get everybody in, make them learn the best magic spells if they have any magical ability at all. Uh, it takes a long time because those powerful spells take a long time to learn. Um, and so I had something to like keep me occupied while I was grinding, but I am pretty like, I don't hate grinding. I'll do it, but I don't, I don't miss it when it's not there. And like we talked about chained echoes before, I didn't miss grinding. I didn't miss taking that time. If you're someone who likes grinding, then you're going to have a lot of like, you're going to find yourself with a lot of work to do to like teach all these spells and stuff. And if you like grinding, this is the game for you. Maybe why it's maybe my favorite video game of all time. I goddamn love grinding. I'm a grinding boy and I have been since the day I was born. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> the, the reason why it's important, why Dave says that you have to is because Again, without spoiling anything, there is a shift in the game with about 20% of it left. And from that point forward, it's all hard bosses. All of them. Everywhere you go has a hard boss. You go to the last place in the game, you have to beat like three really, really hard bosses just to get to Kefka at the very end. Like the game is basically saying like, hey, if you come into this area unprepared, we are going to humble the shit out of you. You have mm -hmm. no idea. Like, yeah. so I, you know, and I, I don't remember if you could like go into the final area and then go back. I, I believe you can, but you I do can, have this. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I have this distinct memory of being like, oh yeah, I got all the characters time to go in the game. And then I went in and fought like the first boss and got absolutely scattered and that was the first time I was like, nah, fuck this game and turned it off and didn't play it for four years. But that's why the, the grinding and getting all of these magic spells are important. The game forces you to basically go like, all right, I guess I'm using Ultima every <laughs> Ultima and Mimic every turn. Like, you know, they, they, the game is just basically saying, like, this area is hard. And if you don't grind we are going to humble the shit out of you. So I don't want you to hear the word grinding and be like, ah, oh, that sounds like super boring. Like it, it is a part of it. And if you hate it, uh, I, I still think like the, you know, the, where you are in the game will like motivate you to do something like that. And there are little tricks here and there to duplicate weapons and items. And there are certain areas where you can go grind for experience. It's not like, you know, the South Park World of Warcraft episode, we got to go fight wild boars for, you know, six and a half weeks or whatever. But yeah, there, <laughs> there, there's a reason why they make you do that. And that's because the end of the game is literally a boss run. It's like a boss run. And you are yeah. just constantly fighting things 
that are really, really fucking strong. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So there, there's a little bit of like, um, just kind of like loses the unique qualities that each character has toward the end of the game. Because like you said, you're either going to have to grind a ton or you're going to have to teach everyone the best magic, which also involves grinding. Um, but going down the magic route kind of saps everybody of their their identity just a little bit, I thought, when it's mm-hmm. like, okay, everyone's going to use the same spell. And then if someone dies, we revive them. And then we go back to using the same <laughs> spell. You right know? back to ultimate, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anything else about the, the gameplay and combat for, for FF6? No, I mean, I mean, like I said, I, I, I said earlier, it's the gold standard of JRPGs. The battle system is exactly like you think it is. I, I prefer an ATB type battle system that I do to a strictly like turn-based game or a tactical game where, you know, you can take your time and think about it. I, I, I like the aspect of like, if I'm not on my like P's and Q's that I could end up fucking myself because there are also random encounters where if you go in unprepared, you will get your shit humbled. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 to me, it's nothing crazy. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to fawn over it. Like I did the chain echoes battle system. It is to me, a, a standard JRPG experience in terms of like battling, but that's my thing. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree with that. It's pretty simple. Um, it, it never requires like super advanced tactics from you in the way that, you know, chain echoes did that we talked about, or some of my other favorite, Final Fantasy X is my favorite uh, Final Fantasy combat system. And that one does require more strategy from you to get through. Uh, this one's pretty standard, but you know, it, it's, it's fun from time to time. And some of those abilities are cool. I love having shadow just fucking, you know, <laughs> throw a sword at somebody. Hurricane shit. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just throw a bronze. I forgot that you could throw literally anything you had. Yeah. Any, That's any weapon. Funny. So he's just like, yeah, this great sword throwing it at him. <laughs> that's, that's super duper funny i forgot about yeah that. it's very funny so uh let's get into our, our kind of wrap up for the non-spoiler section of final fantasy 6 so the, this is the question who would you recommend final fantasy 6 to in 2023 and, and anybody who likes rpgs that hasn't played it you know i think that there is a i i i think to this is going to sound so lame but i think to some degree it's more of like a, if you haven't paid it or played it you should be paying your respects to one of the OGs of the genre. Like, you know, if it's, if RPGs are your thing, you should see what the apex of an RPG was at that time period. And we've both talked about how it holds up so well in almost every facet of the game. Uh, at this point, if you like RPGs and you haven't played it, like to me, it's uh, again, it's like a go pay your respects, you know, go the Godfather kisses, kisses ring finger uh, on his daughter's wedding day, go pay your respects, play the game. It is, it is an experience that you, you will feel the same way uh, about, about it that David, I do. Yeah. I, I would recommend it to, of course. Yeah. RPG fans who just didn't play it because um, I, I think that if you like RPGs like this, part of the reason you like it is for the stories and the characters and the story and the characters in this game are really great. Uh, from a story perspective, especially, uh, that part held up remarkably well. Like it's, it's just really great. Lots of emotional moments, lots of comedy along the way. Uh, just, just brilliant. I think, uh, one of the best final, uh, one of the best RPG stories for sure. It's a I, video gamers video game <laughs> in, uh, yeah. In my opinion, this is the best Final Fantasy story 
uh, of the ones that I've played. Who knows? Maybe maybe Final Fantasy Four will beat it. Who knows? But real quick question: Did you play Final Fantasy Tactics? I did. Yeah, that would be the that would be the one where I would be like, may, may, maybe Tactics has a better story. But you know, any given day. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the tactics uh, story a little bit. It's it's a little bit more political than I tend to like in, uh, sure. in video game stories, but but yeah, uh, that one's that one's also good. Maybe do an episode on that someday. That would be a good one. Um, the other person that I would recommend uh, this game to is someone who's never played a Final Fantasy game. I think this is a great uh, first one to play. Final Fantasy IX would also be a good one to start with. Um, if you want to see like the classic you know, the Super Nintendo era. Maybe you don't want to go all the way back to the NES versions, although the Pixel remasters apparently make those a lot easier to play now. Uh, this would be a great one to start with. It was my first Final Fantasy game. And uh, look at me. I'm rich and successful. <laughs> You're very cool all the time, dude. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. It, it's a pretty easy recommendation. I mean, if the the people who I would not recommend it to are people who don't like JRPGs at all, people who hate grinding in video games and people who hate clowns, I guess. Yeah. Edgar, which we don't want you on board anyways. You could just go home. Yeah, exactly. So, um, easy recommendation for final fantasy six. This game's incredible. It holds up really, really well, despite kind of how worried I was about that. So uh, before we get into talking about spoilers, here is a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Like I said at the top, me and Aaron do a show together called A Top 3 Podcast with uh, two other guys we found by the side of the road. Uh, Aaron, you want to give a little pitch for A Top 3 Podcast in case people don't know? Uh, If you want to look 10 years younger, if you want your penis to be bigger, if you want to wake up and find a $20 bill in your jeans every single day, that's the feeling most people get from listening to A Top 3 Podcast. I sincerely uh, recommend that you try it out. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's the uh, that's the pitch we put at the top <laughs> that's of the exactly episodes. Exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do, we we just do lists. We, we, yeah, do, we top do top three, three lists. Funny. Yeah. Talk to each other. Make fun of bloodbath. It's a good time. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, so go check that show out if you want to hear us talk about stuff that's not video games. And we're on a little roll of JRPGs now with Chained Echoes and Final Fantasy VI, but. Yeah, go check that show out. It's fun. Otherwise, we would love to have you join the uh, the Discord server for this and a top three podcast. Um, come on in and talk about video games, talk about the show, talk about movies, life, stand-up comedy, whatever you're into. We got people who like it there too. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'd love ratings and reviews as always. If you take a couple seconds during the music, go down in, uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, etc. Uh, go down leave a a rating and review. It's super helpful for shows. Uh, We would appreciate it. So Aaron and I are going to take a break. And when we come back, spoilers for Final Fantasy VI.
All right, Aaron and I are back, and it's time for spoilers for Final Fantasy VI. And the first thing I want to talk about, the big elephant in the room for Final Fantasy VI, the, the moment that everybody knows from the game that's played it, the moment you might have heard about if you didn't play it, is Ultros. Just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you purple, I get it. The Grimace yeah. is purple, I get it. Yeah, he's a purple octopus. I know that I know there was a bit right there, but I love Ultros. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. It's very funny. He he's he's kind of like your your anti-villain who shows up and makes a couple of jokes and he fights you and um you hit him with fire and he he like screeches because it hurts. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah. then, um he shows up at the opera. Uh he, he there's the um the scene during the opera where he's up in the rafters and there's a there's like a a weight, like a like a, a fucking Looney Tunes like acting yeah. weight up there. <laughs> and he's he's gonna push it down onto the actors on the stage, and he's like, "Ah, oh, this is really heavy. It's gonna take me like six exactly minutes to do it. <laughs> five minutes." <laughs> and then the timer starts, and you have to like get out and uh, and stop it. Um, was oh the other part about Ultros that's really funny is uh, at one point Realm paints his picture, and he sees that he's an octopus, and he gets really sad. And he's like, is this all I am? No, and the, like I said, I know I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it's so funny how like you get to a part in the game and you, you're at this like battle arena and he's like, yeah, yeah, what's up? I used to be a boss, but now I'm this receptionist at the battle yeah. arena. <laughs> but don't you make me mad or else I'll go boss form again. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. Let me side you in. It's, it's yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's real good. So yeah, the uh, the part that the part that I was alluding to there is that at the kind of halfway point of the game, maybe a little bit less than that, um, you go to the climactic showdown. Uh, Kefka lifts up this this floating continent into the sky. Kefka gains the power, or he's like attempting to gain the power of these um, these magical gods that are there. Like their power is held in these statues. Uh, they're called the Warring Triad, and Kefka is just hell bent on destruction. So you go to have your final showdown with him and you fight Kefka on the floating continent and he wins. He beats you and he breaks the world. And there's this um this transition from like this, you know, typical fantasy world that you were living in into this like post-apocalypse world. And it it's like tw- I don't know, 15, 20 hours into the game. It's long enough where the first time you play it, if you didn't know it was coming, you would think that you were going to the end of the game. And, and not only that, let's, I, I cannot stress enough, like how traumatic of an experience it was watching the world. So it's a, you're, you're in the world of balance, which is at the beginning. And then after Kefka moves these statues, you're in the world of ruin and Dave's right. It's post-apocalyptic era, but there is a hefty, there's a hefty, a heavy scene where it cuts down to the different areas that you've been to in the game and it shows them being destroyed as Kefka is physically mm-hmm. destroying the world. Like I remember, I, I don't remember what, Colian, I, I don't remember exactly what city it was, but like the ground just opens up and there's people standing by it and they just fall into the earth to their deaths or like, It'll, it'll show Kefka like shooting like giant laser beams at the earth and just having fire follow through all of them. When you wake up in this new world, like it's almost like like land doesn't exist anymore. It goes from being like this large, lush like planet to just a series of really tiny 
islands, if that makes any sense. Like Kefka literally destroys the world halfway through the game and you have to pick up the pieces of it. Yeah, yeah. And like the first time I played this, I hadn't been spoiled on it. I was shocked because like this, this doesn't really happen. It's, it's akin to Thanos winning uh, yep. something that that caught everyone by surprise. It still doesn't really happen in video games all that often. I mean, maybe you go to fight the villain halfway through the game and like the villain escapes or some shit like that. Like that's something that happens in a lot of video games, but like the villain doesn't win and destroy the world <laughs> and kill all your friends and family, <laughs> kill yeah. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh this is great. Um, you, you have to escape from the floating continent as it's falling apart. And I get to the airship and you have a moment where you, um, it asks you if you want to wait or not. And if you don't wait, Shadow will die on the floating continent because he doesn't get back in time. Uh, you can wait until there's like five seconds left on the clock, which is like, you know, think about video games, right? If that timer runs out, what's going to happen? You're going to go back to the last time you saved, which was a long ass time ago. You're going to have to fight Kefka again, do all the cutscenes again because you can't skip it. So like, if you don't know about that, yeah, why the fuck would I wait? I'm getting on the airship. Gotta wait for Shadow. Gotta yeah. wait for Shadow. Have to wait, wait for, for Shadow. Shadow. And this is why... So this is, I, I think... Selyse and Shadow are probably like my two favorite characters in this game. And this is such a defining moment for both of these characters, right? So when Kefka moves these statues, uh, he is around Emperor Gestalt is there, right? Emperor Gestal is the, is, is the puppeteer that's putting all these things into motion. Emperor Gestal, since we're in the spoiler section, also created both Selyse and Kefka to be his humble servants that have been given the power of magic. And there's this huge moment before Kefka decides to move the statues where he's basically like, listen, Selyse, kill all your friends, come join us, we'll forgive you. And Selyse fucking like shoves a sword right into Kefka, right? Obviously it doesn't work and he's about to kill Selyse and Shadow comes in at the very last second and saves everybody and traps mm -hmm. Kefka in these statues, right? So this big moment where you're about to get to the airship, when you have to decide whether or not you're going to wait for Shadow, like, Shadow isn't always in your party. He comes and he goes a lot so there 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 might be that part of you that's like well let, let, let me get out of here I'll, I'll probably find shadow somewhere however after the world's been destroyed you have to go and you have to like find all the characters to your party again you'll find shadow alive and well but if you did not wait for him he will not join your party for the end and to me that is inexcusable he's the coolest yeah. fucking character in the game yeah, gotta he, wait for he's shadow really good yeah the the part with celeste there too is that she there had been this like plot line um, up until that point where, you know, she is a defector from the empire, but people don't fully trust her. And then she like loses the trust even more uh, when they go to the Magitech factory. I think that's when that happens. So like the party doesn't really trust Celeste fully. And then when Kefka says like, okay, go ahead, kill all of them. It's time. And she like picks up a sword and she just kind of like stands there looking at the party and you're like, oh, fuck is, you know, is that, she about to betray the party right now? That, that would have been even more shocking for real. But yeah, but then she, she's like, nah, fuck you. Kefka turns around and stabs him. So Kefka wins and like kind of along the lines of Celeste's story, another like huge landmark, like plot thing that happens in this game is 
after the world is destroyed and you pick it up with Celeste, um, you are alone on this island. It's called Solitary Island in the game. <laughs> um, you uh, not obvious. <laughs> yeah, she was in a coma for a year, which is one of my like least favorite like plot tropes where a character is in a coma for a year and then just wakes up and they're like, Oh, I'm perfectly fine. Everything works. I'm good. That does happen <laughs> to like four characters in this game. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, Oh, come back later. I'll be here. I got to go into a coma for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so Celeste has been, um, Sid has been taking care of Celeste on this Island. And then, so you wake up and Sid is getting sick. Uh, it's, I think it's kind of hinted that like, Sid's been giving you all the food, all that stuff. He's, he's not doing so well. And there's this part on the Island where Sid, um, will live or die based on what you do. You can go out and catch these fish. Uh, if you catch all the fastest fish, you can nurse him back to health and he will like, just say, Oh, I built this raft. I want you to go find your friends now. But if you don't, if you catch bad fish or just like, don't, don't get enough of the really good ones, he'll die. And Celeste is left all alone on this island. And she goes up to this cliff nearby. Uh, there were like birds around and stuff until then. The birds are also dead now. And she finds, um, you learn somehow that there were other people on the island, but they, they just couldn't take it. And they all like killed themselves basically. And so she'll go up and she'll look out over the cliff and just kind of like lament what happened to her life. And she jumps and tries to kill herself. Mm -hmm. This is that moment that I told you where they play the, uh, the opera house music where they bring back like right. a slow, yeah. sad reprise of that song is while she's having this almost like soliloquy where she, she is basically saying like, there's nothing left to live for. Uh, I'm going to kill myself. And you know, that's, that, that that's heavy for a video game already, but there's another scene in the game where Celeste basically gets tortured, gets the shit kicked out of her that they also have taken out of like recent versions of the game too, because of the subject matter. Uh, but yeah, to, to me, this, this Celeste moment might be my favorite moment of the entire game. You don't, that's what makes it theatrical. Like, like it's, it's, it's that, it's that to be or not to be moment from Hamlet. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's why Celise is one of my favorite characters because her character goes through more shit than I feel like maybe anybody outside of like Tara has to go through. And the game does a really, really, really good job of being like, no, Celise is. Is, is 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 that girl man she she is a main character where for a, a good stretch of the game she's just kind of like this chick that Locke found you know what, you know what i mean so i i i i love this the from the minute kefka destroys the plant and then you are immediately like taking control of Celise. that is like probably my favorite part of the game as a whole and my favorite part of the story as a whole yeah, so her story starts out as like Locke rescues her from Lock from Lockup. Um, she's like in the Super Nintendo version, there are guards just beating the shit out of her. You like they they animate that. You see it. Um, so Locke rescues her, and then there's like this this kind of like the not everyone like fully trusts her. They don't know what her motives are because she doesn't remember her backstory and stuff like that. But also. Uh, there is like this budding love story between her and Locke and then the world ends and they're separated. And so she's left all alone on this Island. And like this scene 
partly because like that opera scene also really like uh, I get emotional watching that opera scene. The way that the, the way that the suicide scene is set up, it's, it's almost the same because in the opera scene, she's up looking off the edge of a balcony, wondering when her, um, her lover is going to return from the war. I think it is. And then in this, uh, suicide scene, she's on a cliff overlooking the ocean and just kind of like, you know, what is there to live for? Everyone around me is dead. And yeah, she jumps. The music is uh, really great. The way that obviously animations and stuff are limited on the Super Nintendo, but the way that that scene is animated uh, as she's falling and tears are like falling out of her eyes as she's falling. So sad. It's really great. Yeah. And and, and she she falls at like the exact same I don't know the word I'm trying to use here. He falls off of that, jumps off of that cliff at like the same speed as the bouquet of flowers she throws over the castle wall in the opera too. So it's a really cool juxtaposition between like somebody she was pretending to be as an actress doing this play and like the person that she is facing a, an eerily similar moment, like in that game. The cool thing about Salisa is she she doesn't die right there, right? She wakes up and she finds this bird that has a bandana on it. And to her, that signifies she I I, I don't know if it is Locke's bandana or she believes it's Locke's bandana, but she sees Locke's bandana, and that's that like click in her character. And and a lot of characters feel this throughout the story. It's like their big lesson being learned that like life is more worth living when you have friends and family to live for. Uh, but she sees this bird that she believes is carrying Locke's bandana, and that's when she's like Ah, this is such a stupid thing I did. I got to go find Locke. I got to go find my friends. Hope is not lost. And it's it's a really yeah. beautiful moment in a in a pretty simple video game that was made in like 1996 or whatever. You know, it's I I cannot say enough good things about Celise. She's probably my favorite character. I think she has a lot of like the most uh, like emotional impact on the story. That's not Tara, if if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One more thing about that that scene so like i said it's optional whether sid lives or dies in there you can save sid's life and i think that the scene that plays if you save sid's life is so much less impactful than the the suicide attempt scene Mm -hmm. that like if anyone's listening to this and you haven't played final fantasy 6 and you just don't give a shit about spoilers if you play it let sid die because you have to see this suicide attempt scene. Agreed. I, Agreed. It should not be optional. It should just be the thing that happens. Agreed. Agreed. It literally has no impact on the game as a whole if you let him live or die. And you get the best content out of the game if you let him die. Which I did yeah. on accident because I didn't know the fish speed determined how healthy the fish was that you gave him. So I was just like, oh, I caught a bunch of slow fish. It's like, no, you poisoned him to death. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my, my, <laughs> might as well caught, go kill myself. <laughs> you caught the fish that have parasites instead of muscles. <laughs> Um, so the reason I talk about Celeste first is because she is one of, I think only four characters that are mandatory in the world of ruin to pick up. And she kind of becomes your de facto main character for the second half of the game. Cause she's the one getting all the people together. She's the one that's traveling from place to place. So the first half of the game though, is about Tara. So let's talk about Tara. So, um, in my opinion, clearly the protagonist up until the breaking of the world, basically. But then she, she kind of retires in the world of ruin, but we'll get to that. So Tara, um, is half Esper, half human. And you, you get to learn her backstory where you see like a, a lost 
uh, woman um, struggles into the Esper domain. The Espers are these magical beings that kind of inhabit a like a another. They like made themselves another like pocket dimension to live in or some shit to avoid the humans after the war. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So Tara's mom. Uh, has a baby with an Esper and she's born. And there's, there's a scene where like um, the empire comes and kind of like ravages the Esper world. And the portal is like sucking everybody out and it sucks Tara out of the Esper world. And it's really funny. Cause like, it's this little sprite of a baby, but it, it like pinballs around the screen <laughs> yeah. as it's being sucked through this vortex. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and anyway, um, I think it's, Esp- I think it's Emperor Gestal. Maybe it's Leo that finds uh, baby Terra and she's just kind of like raised by the empire to do evil magic shit for them. And so at the beginning of the game, you play as Terra, you're, f- you're working for the empire uh, with uh, Weg- uh, Wedge and Biggs, the, the Star Wars references. Good shout out. Good shout out. It's actually Wedge and Vix in the Super Nintendo version because the translator must not have seen or gotten the reference. But yeah, so so Tara's working for the Empire until she's freed. And she had this thing on called like a slave crown that basically just wipes her memory clean. So she starts from zero and she becomes like that amnesiac character in, in video games that exists so that like the game can tell you all the backstory and it doesn't feel weird that they're all you talking can about learn, it. You can learn as she learns, which is a, a paramount to a, an amnesia character like that. It's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, she, she goes through like this identity crisis in the first half of the game where she is kind of scared of what her powers can do. Cause she can transform into this like super powerful Esper form and, it takes her a while to like become okay with that and to learn to control it. And then after the destruction, after Kefka wins, Tara's looking for purpose in the world. And she comes across all these orphans uh, that were, you know, parents got killed by Kefka and she just kind of retires to take care of them. And so she is one of those characters that you, you go to recruit and she's like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm I'm cool, homie. Yeah, Yeah. I'm good. And you're just like, Oh, these 19 kids. Okay, that's weird. All right, well, I guess I'll see you later. But eventually she does join, but her story is functionally over until the very end. Yeah, and, you know, we we, we talked to, I, I'm pretty sure, and maybe it was just in the original version of the game, but I'm pretty sure, like, when it comes down to, like, her, like, battle stats and stuff, that she has, like, the the strongest magic. Like, if you level her up to 99, you level everybody else up to 99. Like, that she still would have, like, the strongest magic stats. Uh, again, that with, like, the fact that, like, she's your opening character that you play with. And, yeah, in the world of Ruin, y- you don't play with her a lot until you unlock her and shit. But that's, the world of Ruin, I think, is literally, like, storyline wise the last eight percent of the story right so like yeah you can run around without her for a long time while you're grinding and shit and yeah that time takes forever but to me even with that like moment it's kind of like a it's kind of like in final fantasy 7 when cloud loses his fucking mind and you just can't use him for a little bit because he's just like 
suffering from materia or materia poisoning or something like that, that still, I, again, doesn't detract me away from the fact that I, like, even at the end of the game, I still have to tear as the main character in the ending of the game. When you escape the area that you're fighting Kefka in, Setzer, she's like flying alongside Setzer in her like Super Saiyan form or whatever, and Setzer has to like swoop the ship down and like catch her and shit. That's the last big oh fuck moment of the game is like, oh fuck, Terra's dead. She just fell out of the sky, like, you know, yeah. and so like to, so that the there are little moments throughout the game that I think all add up to me being like, OK, Hera is the main character. She's the strongest magic wise. She's involved in almost every major story point, uh, both with the Empire and with the Resistance. So it's, you know, it's hard for me to say that she's not, even though like I all, you know, when I was little, I kind of looked at Edgar as the main character because I just I fucking loved him so much, dude. I just, <laughs> you, I just love that guy. Well, he's he's in my party all the time. He's all the, the main time. character. Yeah, exactly. Exa- I run around with him. He has sick, long, blonde hair. He has a two-sided coin that's heads on both sides that he uses five times throughout the story, you know? So, <laughs> but like, yeah, if, if we're going to talk about Tara, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, she's the main character to me. She is the... She is the, the, and I said it before, but she's like the crux to every major plot point or most major plot points throughout the story too. So, yeah, like I definitely get that. Like if you're going to point to any one character and say that this is their story, Tara is one of only a couple where it would really make sense for sure. Um, I, I just think that like, she's the main character of the first half. Celis is the main character of the second half, I think, but that's you know kind of beside the point. It's actually um it's actually Realm that has the highest magic stat. A little fun fact, which is I loved uh, Realm. Which is weird. I loved Realm so much. Dude. <laughs> She's so yeah. cute. Yeah, I didn't like her the first couple times I played, but I liked her a lot more this time. She's uh she's just like a badass magic user. Her paint ability is fucking worthless, but whatever. (laughs) Everyone hates having their gal. Yeah. All right, we're gonna do this game. We might as well use gal. And she uh, shown through flashbacks as Shadow's daughter, and that's why Interceptor takes to her when Shadow and Interceptor run into her for the first time. Uh, That's that. That's his daughter, which is also really really cool. Yeah, I um I missed that. I didn't see that in my game. And credit to a friend of the show, Pixel Project Radio, for their series uh chris and rick uh going through this game in like uh close detail much closer than we're gonna do in this episode so shout out to pixel project radio if anyone wants like nine hours of final fantasy six story talk yes i do yep go check that out uh but they they brought it up and you know confirmed you do find out that shadow was um he was a mercenary he had a a partner who got injured and uh, Shadow just kind of fucking abandoned him or some shit. And then mm-hmm. yep. he, he settled down. He had a daughter, but then he abandoned the family and took the family dog, which is super fucked up. <laughs> I feel like cool I'm dog. leaving yeah. and I'm taking the dog with me. <laughs> you, you, you can keep Realm. I'm going I'm to go ahead and take the dog. And uh, yeah. one other thing about Shadow is uh, in the... So after you beat the game, there's like this little part of the game where you have to escape the area. You don't have to do it physically, but the end cutscene is all of the characters escaping the final battle place, doing different things. And Shadow's little part in that, if I'm not mistaken, like I said, it's been a long time, but he kind of just like goes off to the side and like sits down and he's like, 
And I, th- I think it's like him referencing like how he abandoned his name's like B- Banrum or B- B- Bantham, something stupid like that. Uh, but while all the other characters are getting out, Shadow's kind of like, I fulfilled my purpose. I'm going to sit here and rest while this place collapses. Like it's 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 yeah. really weird, but but very fitting for Shadow to end like that, even though like now his daughter's around but i guess cool <laughs> go, go like sit down and die but i i, I don't think uh, after he lays down and like quote unquote gives up or whatever quote unquote decides that you know his his watch has ended or if you want to say it that way that that that's how he ends up doing he's just kind of like my battle's fought my watch has ended i'm just gonna sit here and i don't think they show him again after that i think i always just assumed that he died yeah, yeah, I think he dies because like they show the party on the airship as you're escaping, and he's not there. He's not so, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he he feels like his his work is done, and yeah, he just kind of as the world is crumbling, just kind of you know like, we have he's your like, daughter, right? You don't yeah. want any, nothing. <laughs> Now that yeah. you know she's like eight, right? Okay, all right. Okay, Shadow, whatever. Now she she just whooped Kefka's ass. She can she can fend for herself. Yeah, she'll, she'll be fine. Yeah. So. Yeah, Shadow's a cool character. I missed most of the story, but um, he he does have some cool backstory. Uh, speaking of, uh, you mentioned Gao. You said you hate Gao. Hate him. Hate that guy. Every time he talks, I'm just like, ah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I I don't like when he talks. Really, the the cave. I said the same thing about the caveman character, cavewoman character in Chrono Trigger. Uh, I I hate this type of character. It's it's extremely annoying to me. I used Gao a lot in battle in this playthrough because, like, I had always heard that, like, the pro tip that I'm not doing in Final Fantasy VI is that Gao is actually really fucking awesome. You just have to do a little bit of extra work to get him there. And I decided that this time I'm going to do it. So I turned Gao into a powerhouse, and he has um, one of the enemies, the stray cat, which is just a regular-ass cat. (laughs) (laughs) You can learn this move called Cat Scratch from the cat, and it does like incredible damage. And if you level up Gal's strength, he'll be doing just as much damage as Ultima, as Ultima does yeah, at up. the end of the game. Straight yeah. Up. So that's what I did. And so I enjoyed using him in my party this time. And Gal has some really touching story too. Oh, no. His story is not touching. It is straight up fucked up and sad, bro. <laughs> that is the status. So anyway, so Gao basically his fa- his his, uh, his mother dies, and his father uh, just just uh, again this is a lot of child abandonment in this story. But his father just takes baby Gao out to this place called the Velt, which you could equate to let's say the Sahara Desert or something. Like the, and just, the savanna. It's like the savanna. The, yeah, yeah. Where all like the lions and shit live. Yeah, and he just and just, yeah. and just leaves him there. Right. So whatever. Gao is like that raised by wolves character. He doesn't speak proper English, but he knows all these animal spells and he's kind of like this feral child or whatever. But in the world of ruin, if if you was in your party, you find his father, right? And you can confront Gao's father with Gao. And what Gao's father says is basically like, no, that's not true. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not my son. I never did those things. And then when you leave, they're like, there's Sabin or Cyan or somebody who's like, hey, Gao, like, are, are you all right, man? I know that was rough. And Gao's like, I'm so happy my dad's alive. And they're like, well, you know, like he doesn't love you or give a shit about you. And he's like, yeah, but I'm so happy he's alive. And they're just like, okay, let's go kill Kefka. All it's right, very, moving it's, on. It's super weird. Yeah, but it is it is cool to, um, to give Gal just a little bit more depth as like a, yep. a, a person who can think instead of just like a, 
feral totally. child who up until this point, his entire character was just like being wild and like teasing <laughs> Cyan because Cyan <laughs> talks weird. <laughs> right. So there you is that Mr. Thou, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. <laughs> uh, so that the it it's it's really fucked up like they 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 teach him like table manners and they like like put a suit on him and shit and yeah, they like take him to <laughs> take him to a dinner and they're like hey uh sir this is your son and he's like no i don't have a son i never met this kid yeah i don't know yeah they, they yeah. put that goofy ass blue suit on him, like like you dress for prom for the first time. All right, so we didn't we didn't talk about Setzer. What are your thoughts on Setzer, man? What, what do you think? Did you ever use Setzer? He's like Kate sits, so probably no. Right? No, Setzer's uh, Setzer's other than Umaro, Setzer's the worst character as far as battle goes in the yep. game. Yeah, best name. He was always my. I played with him a lot when I was a little kid because I was just like, "Fuck, he looks like a vampire. He's got long silver hair, and he flies an airship. And his name is Setzer, which is really neat." And then, like the last time I played the game, which was probably like five or six years ago, I was playing with Setzer. I was like, "Dude, Setzer fucking sucks." Bye. He's just a vent to an airship. That's all. He's yeah. the airship guy. He He's also has, cool has a pretty decent, he, great music, really cool backstory. He's in a couple of scenes. I mean, like I said, he, he he's the getaway driver, man, you know, at the end of the game, which is really cool, too. But I never fuck with Setzer. I never fuck with Umaru. We haven't talked about Sabin enough and how fucking cool he is. So Sabin is almost a direct ripoff of Ryu from Street Fighter. Like a lot of Sabin's moves <laughs> are based off of moves that Ryu does. And that's just like a real thing. So that that's also really yeah. cool. Um, but nah, Setzer and Umaru, those are probably, and Gogo, you know, sometimes I'll just like straight up not even get Gogo. I'm like, nah, I don't care. Yeah. I, so I got Gogo because I get, I wanted to get all the characters, but, sure. um, I, I misunderstood how the mimic thing worked. I thought it copied enemy moves. What it does is it copies the, the move that happened right before Gogo's turn. Mm-hmm. So you could mimic Ultima if your character used it in front of Gogo. With, without in cat scratch, without grinding those. Yeah, moves. no magic, nothing like mm-hmm. that. But I misunderstood, so I was like, oh, he fucking sucks and just didn't he's not a part of the story in the <laughs> least. No. So no, he's very he's like a secret character, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um you mentioned Sabin. Sabin was my other than Celeste, because Celeste was in my party for the entire world of ruin. I was trying Same, to yeah. um trying to clean the uh the cursed shield and i gave that to celeste mm-hmm. and so she was there the whole time so she my party was like level 50 when i fought kefka she was like level 65 she was just always there <laughs> mine um, was edgar was like 20 levels higher because i just threw him by himself so he would get four players worth of experience just for using auto cross <laughs> yeah i love that guy but w- other than celeste sabin was the mvp of my party and it's because his blitz moves, like like you mentioned before, like the Street Fighter moves, are incredibly good. Um, he has one called Aura Bolt that is like a magic attack that does a ton of damage. And then his final one that he learns if you do his his uh, his full quest is um, in the Super Nintendo version. It's called Bum Rush, and it does a shitload of damage, like so much. Yeah, maybe the best move in the game. I remember one time I beat Kefka, and it was like, I called it like my Charlie's Angels package. It was Terra, Solis, Realm, and Shadow. <laughs> That's how it <laughs> It's like Shadow's Angels and a dog. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, he, he was great. I don't have a ton to say about like Edgar and Sabin's story. It's just, you know, two brothers who yeah. um, 
there there was a coin flip to see who would become the king. Edgar won the coin flip, so he became the king. And Sabin went to go like live in the mountains and train in kung fu or some shit. Um, <laughs> Why don't you go so, live in the mountains and don't bother anybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you you when you first find Sabin in the world of ruin, he's holding up a, a collapsing house with his oh, bare hands. <laughs> oh, ass. That was my like. Okay, I love Sabin moment. Was when he did that. Too. I'm also glad you call him Sabin too because I've heard that name pronounced six different ways. Yeah. And uh, you are the only other person who says Sabin. Oh, dude, that that Sabin moment where he's holding up the the house is another one of those times where he's like, I only have the strength to hold up the house for four minutes. It's exactly <laughs> 11 minutes. <laughs> Hurry up, girl. Yeah. That part was hard. Yeah. That part was hard. It is hard. Yeah, I died a few times uh, going through that burning house. Or not the burning house. That's Realm's house. Um, the collapsing house. Because there's... um. You only have Celeste. It's just Celeste in your party. Or at least it was and, for and, me. And it's a lame-ass boss fight at the end, right before you fight the kid. I don't remember who it was, but I remember just being like, all right, I got to get to this boss with at least six minutes left or, you know. Yeah, my problem was um, I kept getting, like, zombie or petrified or some shit. Like, and Yeah, if so you got turned into a frog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's see. I got through... Okay, two more characters I want to talk about. I want to talk about Cyan because he has probably the most tragic story of anybody. Well, Locke too, but anyway, no, Cyan. It's, it's, it's Cyan, yeah. Yeah. I, so, who I never used. I hated using Cyan in my party. He's party. awful. Was, he's he's a for, for a sword fucking tech. sword master, he's Not terrible in combat. He's very bad. Yeah. Um, but his story is great. So early in the game, when you first meet him... Um, there's like a siege on his home castle Doma and Gestal is like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to follow the Geneva convention here. We're not going to do any war crimes. We're going <laughs> to fight this honorably. And Oh shit. I have to like, I have to go. Uh, Kefka, can you like promise you're not going to do any war crimes? And Kefka's like, yeah, sure. I, I promise. He just got his fingers crossed behind his back. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, he, Kefka poisons the the water supply so everyone in the castle dies except for Cyan because he doesn't drink water or something. Um, <laughs> but you come in and you watch uh, you watch his entire family die, his wife and his two oh kids. Oh my god, dude. That that scene where he comes in and he like pulls his dead kid out of the bed. I was just like, what in the fuck am I experiencing yeah, right now? I, again, I'm nine years old. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, Cyan is a great character. Some of the best moments in the game involve Cyan. The Phantom Train sequence with him and Sabin and Gao or Sabin and Gao is really, really fucking cool. And they allude to his wife and child in that, like the Phantom Train's pulling away, and his wife and kids' spirit comes to the end of the train. They're like, "We love you, Cyan," and he's like, "No, come back to me." But and yeah. just, oh, holy <laughs> fuck! If I cared about this character at all, I would be in shambles right now. Dude. Yeah, if this was if this was a character that because like when you meet him, you don't know anything about him except that his family just got poisoned. Right. And he's like a he's a loyal, honest uh, samurai, basically. Experian figure. Yeah, he's <laughs> he, he's cool. It's just like for the amount of times that you that the story forces you to use him, you're just like, oh, he should be awesome. And I just I, I never thought he was that cool personally. Yeah. Yeah. You could teach him um, Ultima if you really liked him, but I didn't. His magic stat is terrible. So like you can teach him Ultima, but you're better off just using somebody else. <laughs> it does 240 damage at level 70. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that's also the famous part where Sabin can use his suplex move to suplex the Phantom Train, which is, it's been memed at this point, but it is yes. very funny. It's hilarious watching like a man pick up a train and fucking pile drive it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's really good. But um, his family departs to the afterlife. Um, in the world of Ruin, you can kind of do the second half of this story. So Cyan's like dream world gets taken over by these three demons called Larry, Curly, and Moe. It's another like the guy who translated the game uh, put a lot of like pop culture references into it. Um, So Larry, Curly, and Moe. And then in the new version, in the pixel remaster, they changed the name, but the names are um, like, they're just Larry, Curly, and Moe, but they made them fantasy names so let me find them real quick laria uh, curlietta mo you 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 say that but that's not too far oh, i know off. i know it's probably close <laughs> that's funny i i don't remember ever doing i don't remember that i i think there have also been multiple world of ruin runs where i'm like yeah i'm just gonna leave cyan to his devices and I, I don't care what he's got going on yeah so they're the dream stooges all right are you ready for their names in the uh, pixel remaster or like the newer versions. Let me take a shot of whiskey. Okay, yeah. I'm ready. Okay, so they were Larry, Curly, and Moe in the SNES. In <laughs> in the new version, it's Laragorn, Curlax, and Mobius. Curlax, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's because nobody that's playing the Pixel remake has any idea who the Three Stooges are. <laughs> Curlax is great. I'm going to name my kid Curlax. Yeah. Uh, Laragorn, go talk to your mother. She wants to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Mobius, Mobius, get off the shed. (laughs) That's great. I hate hate (laughs) Zion. Yeah, I mean, I I did it because, again, I'm getting all the characters. And uh, if you you don't want to grind a ton, you need at least 12 characters that are in fighting shape for Kefka's tower at the end. So I was like, okay, all right, we'll get Cyan. Or one really strong Edgar. <laughs> That's true. But like, like I said, I'm not grinding to level 99. I'm not doing it. The end of Cyan's story is there's a, uh, a monster called Rex soul. That's like kind of, it's, I think it's feeding on his grief or something like yes. that. Mm-hmm. And you go inside his mind, your characters get separated. And so you start out with just one character and I had Gogo and Gogo was the one character where I started, <laughs> but Gogo didn't have anybody to mimic. And so that ended poorly. And I had to like, <laughs> restart from an earlier scene <laughs> yeah, go go back go back like an hour yeah. long so okay, that was bad. kids this is an important reminder if you're playing a jrpg of any kind always have a backup save file always i'm not sure if you can in in final fantasy 6 but like the last time i saved was before i started cyan's dream world so i had to like leave get gogo out of the party and then try again basically that's lucky <laughs> you got lucky right there yeah yeah, I could have soft locked myself. That would have been terrible. But um, at the end of that, like you, you beat Rexel. It's a really annoying boss fight, and his his family just kind of says like, "Hey, you need to forgive yourself." And I thought that was kind of a letdown at the end of the story. Like I, I didn't think it needed this second half of the story. Like the part where they ride away on the Phantom Train was great, like a great ending for his story. But you know. I think the I think the people who created the game really wanted us to like Cyan. 
like really, really wanted us to like Cyan and really put a lot of work into putting him into the game and stressing the importance of this, blah, blah. I do feel like a lot of the character stories kind of end with like a, a message like that. I do think it's kind of like corny, you know, how many characters are like, oh, I got to save my friends or, oh, this is about me and my family and blah, blah, blah. If there's one story that I'm like, OK with it being like that. It's science, two reasons, one, I don't care, and two, his fucking kid and wife died. Like, I, I, I can give him a pass yeah. for that, but as soon as I got him, it was like, all right, back of the line, dude. Yeah, 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 behind Go-Go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he was only in my final 12 because it was Go-Go and Umaro uh, taking the other spots. Mm-hmm. So um, the last character, the last story is um is Locke's, and I think Locke, Locke was one character that, like, my first time playing it, I wasn't. I guess I wasn't paying attention much and I I didn't really like his story that much on this replay. I think his story is really good um, and really weird. It's got some weird shit going on in it. So uh, back before the game started, he had a girlfriend named Rachel. Um, he's trying to like prove to Rachel's father that he's worthy as like a treasure hunter. So he takes her on this like really dangerous treasure hunt. Um, basically like, let me show you that I can provide for your daughter and keep her safe by taking her into the most dangerous, like (laughs) cave nearby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rachel falls and, uh, Locke was not able to save her. And so he's like carrying this grief around, but what's weird about it is like, she's dead, but she's not dead. She's kind of held like in this like suspended I've always wondered about that. Do they, exp- I don't remember if they explained that or not. Like if it's just something like, Oh, like the magic that lock, the magic of the love that lock has for has kept her so well preserved. Or if it's just like, Oh, this happened three weeks ago. Like I, I, no, I, I like, never got that. I, I got the feeling she'd been there for a while and like someone's keeping her alive. Cause there's a dude, she's in this basement of a house and there's this dude down there yeah. and he acts like real weird when you talk to him. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> okay. we're, we're not going there. We're not going yeah, there. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but in the world of ruin, a uh, lot goes and finds this Esper called Phoenix, uh, that can supposedly revive her. And he does. And she, re- she comes back to life. She talks to him basically says like, Hey, that, you know, I only have a couple minutes here. So like, I, l- I still love you. Uh, I want you to go out and live your life, allow yourself to love people again. And then she dies. And then Locke is like, all right, time, time to go fuck Salise. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, more on that later because, well, actually we should say it now in that escape at the end, um, they bring this back because she falls, Celeste falls, like the, the floor is crumbling and Locke does run over and grab her and save her uh, the way he wasn't able to save Rachel before. And so it's a nice little like, okay, Locke is, uh, he's living again. Yeah, it's a lot of, uh, you know, and again, we talked about the characters, but there's a lot of good arc. You know what I mean? Like every character has a fault. Every character learns a lesson and every character applies those lessons to make up for that fault at an important moment, which again, I find pretty cheesy. It's kind of like, you know, the ending of Final Fantasy VI is kind of like the ending of like a 90s high school movie where like they'll show the picture of the person that'll be like, this guy went on to graduate from MIT and now (laughs) I'm successful. 
now he owns a successful computing business in Northern Iowa, or like this guy ended up getting addicted to heroin and dying. The end of Final Fantasy VI is kind of just like, hey, cool, hey, Locke, you know, had a chance to save a girl this time, and he did. Shadow decided to 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 lay down and rest. Umaru even had a part at the end. Umaru even had a part at the end where he just like bashes through a wall that they need to get to. Like, there's always there is closure. With everybody in the game. I was a Locke hater when I was a kid. I, I didn't really give a shit about Locke like at all. I thought his story was kind of boring. But I'm the same way with you. The last time I played the game again, it was like five or six years ago. I, I was like, <clears throat> you could argue to me that Locke is the main character of Final Fantasy VI. And I would hear that argument. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like he is in it all the time. All the big moments. Uh, and he has his own little like functioning backstory that I think is actually kind of a, a, a cool little thing. So, you, you know, I, I've never loved Locke, but you could tell me, Aaron, I think Locke is the main character of Final Fantasy VI. And I would be like, yeah, maybe. What do you, well, you know, explain yourself. So, you know, I, 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 I love Locke. I, I don't think he's special at all in the game. I don't think Steel is really that great of a thing, even though I talked about it earlier. But you, you could make the argument he's the main character and I would listen. Yeah, I would hear that. And um I, I tended to use Locke too, which always helps with uh with stuff like that. I used him in in the party. He's always the like um the haste, the white magic type yep. guy. Sure. Yeah. talk about preparing for kefka and going to fight kefka so i think you said earlier like the world of ruins story is a really small percent of the story and like you get stories for what the individual characters have been up to during the time that the world has been broken and like how you wrap up their individual stories within the game but like the plot the big plot is just gather everybody and go fight kefka again so we've talked about the stories and I did like a lot of the stuff to get ready to fight Kefka. I, I grinded to teach everybody Ultima. Um, I grinded to get everybody to level 50. I cleaned the cursed shield. Oh my I God. Went into which the, is like the most annoying thing, dude. Yeah. It, it's real bad, but I did it. Um, I went into the dinosaur forest and just beat the shit out of T-Rexes for like seven hours. That's the way to do it. Man. This. Best way to do it, dude. <laughs> I need, um, I need a montage, like a, a Rocky style montage. And it's just <laughs> even like, Rocky had a montage montage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get like some 80s song playing in the background. And then it just cuts to like Edgar punching a fucking T-Rex <laughs> in the head. <laughs> Chainsaw to a T-Rex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, realm. <laughs> realm. Chainsaw smack- to the head. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to yeah. say uh, realm smacking a T-Rex with a paintbrush. Um, <laughs> It's very effective. 
Yeah. Uh, I did that. I also did grinding in the fanatics tower, which is like the, yep. Yep. the, the Kefka's cult, which like when you, <laughs> in the, another thing, when you go there for the first time, stray goes just chilling there. Like he's joined oh, yeah. the cult. He's like a zombie, bro. <laughs> and then he's just like, oh, like he sees realm and he's like, oh, I forgot about my granddaughter. You're alive. All right. I'm not a zombie anymore. Yeah, and exactly. I, was, I always was just like, oh, there's about to be a big fight because everybody thinks he's on their team and they just keep walking in that line. And I'm like, all right, OK, all right. I guess we're just going to go ahead and hit the old dusty trail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was funny. You just walk into the area and it doesn't even talk about Strago right away. It's just, you see this line of people and you're like, is that Strago? The fuck is Strago doing here? By the way, we yeah. didn't talk about Strago. Absolutely terrible. I hate using <laughs> too. He's gal, but worse. He has this, um, he has this weird story where he's, uh, there's this monster that he's been trying to kill that like, it's like a legendary thing. And, his friends failed at doing it or whatever. And one of his friends is hurt and Strago's like, I'm going to go out and fight this thing to avenge him. And so you go out, you fight the monster and you beat it. And then you find out that like, it was all set up by realm and his friend in the first place. So it's like, Oh, so that didn't matter. All right, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, talking about Kefka. So going to Kefka's, um, Kefka's tower, you've got, you need three parties to do it. Um, I always broke them up by like, I need one character that just like bangs Ultima all battle long. I need one character that kind of sucks, but can use like curing magic. And then we'll just kind of distribute. So here are my teams. All right. Team one was Terra, Edgar, Cyan, and Setzer. Setzer's just there doing, doing his best, doing what he can. <laughs> He's trying. <laughs> uh, team two was Realm, Sabin, Shadow, and Mog. Mog's just there doing what he can, doing his best. Um, and then team three was Celeste. She's over level 60 at this point. Uh, Gal, Strago, and Locke. And so I kind of evenly split my parties up because I didn't do the grinding to make it so where I can just like have Edgar hold it by down himself. by himself. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very cool. So um, I had did the grinding. So I just like shredded the entire dungeon. Basically you get like the hardest monsters in the game, the hardest bosses. None of them stood a chance just cause I did that grinding to get Ultima on everybody and to get, um, if you go to the top of the fanatics tower, you get the web, the, uh, the relic that lets you do double cast. So Celeste Over. was just, yeah, she was just double casting Ultima and just nothing really stood a chance against her. So then you go and fight Kefka and uh, I want to like talk about the art just for a second in the Kefka fight. Start with the, um, the thing you fight before Kefka, you have to like work your way up this like tower of bodies and monsters all like entwined together. It looks like a, like a fucking like biblical painting. Or yeah. Some like, shit. A, like, like something that would be on the ceiling of the Vatican or something yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. It, it's really great. Um, but you have to fight your your way up through these levels. And uh, during the fight, um, I think it starts when you're going up the uh, the tower, but Dancing Mad plays, which is 17 minutes of like this epic, like progressive, talked about it before, but like classical, religious music, fucking dream theater, progressive metal, uh, moving from like one part to another. This incredible song. And then you fight Kefka. You go talk to Kefka at the top. And um, Kefka looks like an angel. 
he and like there's like these sunlight from heaven coming down behind him like very obvious like jrpg most of these games you end them fighting god but like mm-hmm. kefka is god like he is he has become god it's eerily similar to the uh sephiroth fight too like in final fantasy the the final boss in final fantasy 7 where you're fighting this like angelic like godlike figure and you have this like biblical like gregorian chant like type shit like blasting in the background you know final fantasy does that that is their trope like you know you get to the end of the game you're getting the most epic like religiously like induced music that you can get and you are fighting somebody that has wings and is surrounded by light and that's what it is and the final like it is cool i do like the final form of kefka that you fight i think that is just like i i don't think it's anything like over the top or crazy it's just like okay here is kefka like the artwork is he just looks like a cloud angel you know, as opposed to this amalgamation of twisted, you know, uh, appendages wrapping around each other and this weird fucking music playing. When you get down to the end, you fight Kefka, you fight Kefka. It kind of looks like what Kefka looked like the whole time, just a little bit different. I, I like that, too. Yeah, it's still kind of, like, recognizable as Kefka, but he's got, like, angel mm-hmm. wings and shit exactly. in this no, one. Totally. Yeah. So he talks to the party and, like, he's kind of taunting them, basically. Like, he's full evil. I forgot to say, but in the world of Ruin, Kefka is just, like, looking at everything, just kind of watching. He's just chilling up there. Yeah, and if he sees something he doesn't like, he sends, like, lightning to just go destroy it. You see it happen. That's that laser beam I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's just chilling up there. And then when you get up to talk to him, he kind of talks to you about, like, why everything's just going to get destroyed. I'm going to destroy. Why would you continue to keep uh, fighting? And the party talks about like, you know, we'll just rebuild. And he's like, well, if it's just going to be destroyed, why rebuild and why continue? Your lives mean nothing. And your party like goes person by person talking about why their reason for continuing. It takes 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, um, but it's cool because it's like, I said at the beginning in the non-spoiler part, how all these characters have been through a lot of shit. Um, and they have come to the end with like this understanding and this, this new purpose. Uh, so just to run through them, Tara says it's the day to day joy and small victories that make it worth it and love. And that she now knows what love is. And part of it's like, is she talking about Locke? Cause everyone's in love with Locke. Or is she talking about those kids that she's taking care of? 100% yeah. the orphans. Yeah. Locke says that he's learned to celebrate life and the living. Cyan says that his family lives on inside of him. Shadow says that he knows what friendship and family are, which is weird because he abandons his daughter 10 minutes later. And, and his friends all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and his friends. Don't forget them. He abandons them too. Again. Um, all the important moments. He's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Edgar talks about building a perfect, dignified kingdom. Um, didn't talk about this, but Edgar lives in a castle that can go underground and travel like subterranean style, which I is fucking cool. love Figaro Castle, dude. I love the music. I love the location. I love that you can go places. Yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yeah. Sabin says that he's experienced anew the love of his brother. Uh, Sabin and Edgar have reunited. They were you know, separated for a long time. Celeste says that she's met someone who can accept her for what she is. That's Locke. That's Locke. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Strago says that he has a special granddaughter. So like Shadow's out of the picture, but Strago's going to keep taking care of her. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll still love you, Rob. No worries. Yeah. 
Uh, Realm says that she has a brave grandpa. It's funny. Realm just gives Strago shit the entire game. She's just like, ah, he's kind of an asshole. (laughs) She's she's a fucking dick to that guy. To be fair, Strago sucks. He's the worst. Um, Setzer says that he has his friend's airship and love. And Mog and Gal say that they have friends. Yeah, this is what I said earlier, dude. All it's. It's very campy and very cheesy, but I'm a I'm a I'm a fucking slut for a for a good character arc, no matter how campy it is, dude. Like I like how you know I I like you know maybe it's overplayed an overplayed trope today, but like back then when I you know when I first beat the game, it was just kind of like one of those moments where I was like, hell yeah, Kefka, it's a human thing, bro, that you'll never understand. <laughs> you'll never get it. You'll yeah. never. Nobody loved you, dude, except for Gestal, and you killed him. <laughs> so, yeah, I, did, I, I uh, did like the ending. Yeah, but like you can imagine during this scene, again, going back to that like stage play thing about this game, you can imagine all the actors taking their turn yeah. to step forward into the spotlight mm-hmm. and give yep. their little their line here, right? Yep, 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 totally. Yeah. I love it. It's it's beautiful. It is. It's beautiful. And I love what Kefka says in response to this. He says they sound like chapters from a self-help book and that he's going to destroy everything and create a monument to non-existence. It's like, cool. Hey, are there self-help books around right now? That was, uh, I I saw that on the recap video I watched. Uh, Kefka said that. I was like, oh, that's weird. They have self-help books back then. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have books. There's... (laughs) There's got to be somebody trying to make some money. Uh, the world of ruin and you. <laughs> but it's but it's it's still the secret like that exists in their world. Yeah. So even after hearing all of like the uh, the touching speeches and purpose for living that all of our characters have found, Kefka's like, bro, you guys fucking suck. You hear yourself? You are corny. <laughs> you like a nerds, bro. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the boss fight begins. Um, I actually, I think this happens before you start fighting up the tower of all the bodies and monsters. It does. Um, yeah. But anyway, you, you get to Kefka, you fight Kefka. I, I beat the fuck out of Kefka. Um, something interesting about this part is you had previously split your party into three parties. Now you line them up like one through 12 basically. And it's the order that they come out in battle. And Let's so there's four phases. You fight the three mini bosses and then Kefka. If someone's dead at the end of one of the phases, the next person in line will come in and replace them. Which, yeah, never, never had anybody come in and replace anybody, dude. For real, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I was prepared. Yeah, yeah. So I did have a couple people die, and it's cool. It gives that feeling of like, all right, someone needs to tap out because they, you know, they're done. So someone else comes in to back them up. It happens in all like the superhero movies and stuff like that. It's cool. It's a cool thing that happens. Agreed. Yeah. What sucks is that a battle has to end in order for someone to come replace them. So if someone dies during the Kefka fight, no one's going to come replace them. I think that someone should have just come in when they fall and replace them that way. It would have been kind of cool, but or each phase is a different set of characters that you have to use. And then at the end, it throws back like your original party. Yeah. That would have been cool too. Yeah. But eventually I got to a point where it was Tara Locke, Edgar and Sabin and just beat the shit out of yeah. Kefka. He <laughs> stood no a, chance. That is a, you have no chance party right there, dude, for real. Yeah. Yeah. So 
it's um it was kind of cool it was like that like titanic struggle to go face kefka who's become god and i spent like I spent at least five hours beating up dinosaurs to get strong enough to go do that. And so to go in there and just beat the shit out of Kefka was really satisfying. And so do you understand why I grind in every video game? Because there is nothing more satisfying to me than facing the main antagonist and just be like, oh, you're literally nothing to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Sin in Final Fantasy X. I know you're <laughs> the right. largest Sorry. thing possible. Sorry, Sephiroth, I'm listening to your battle theme for 30 seconds and this shit is over, bro. <laughs> I've never heard the entire One-Winged Angel song. Yeah. I don't even know the name, dude. It doesn't even register. <laughs> Dancing Mad, though, is playing the whole time that this is going and it's moving through all these like really cool movements. And maybe I'll just cut it in under this discussion of this part because, again, that song is 17 minutes long. It is a is an epic song. Um if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, just just put it on. Listen to the whole thing while you're grocery shopping or something. It'll make you feel <laughs> while, things, while make you see things. While you're fucking your wife. Yeah, it'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one thing that's cool is when you beat Kefka, he does not give a grand speech. He doesn't escape. He just uh, disintegrates and disappears. He's gone. Oh yeah, that's the uh, that's that that's the how you know somebody dies in Dragon Ball Z too when you can see the fragments separating. That's when I was just like, okay, cool, no more phases, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, it's always like a um, you know, you beat the shit out of the boss in a fight, and then they give like a like a five minute monologue while they're dying, and like someone runs over and like cradles them as they're dying, and like Kefka, you can change. No, there's none of that shit. He just disappears. <laughs> This is what we were telling you about Kefka. This is the love and emotion. He's just yeah. like fucking dis- like disappearing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he's gone. And then we, we kind of talked about it, but you get this uh, credit sequence where it gives you the credits as if it's like the, the end credits of a, a play or a TV show or something. And like, if you named your characters like different names, it will come up and it'll show like Aaron as Edgar Figaro. Uh, but I, you know, I didn't name them anything, but it'll show them, it'll show a cool little, like, you know, quasi 3d, like model of an object that's important to them. And then it'll show their role in the escape. So we talked about those before, uh, some of them, um, shadow kind of just gives up <laughs> again. Uh, see a realm. Good luck with your grandpa. Bye. Um, Cyan figures out how to use a switch on the floor for the first time. Uh, yeah, he's... he like accepts technology. It's like, okay. Yeah, but like by accepting technology, we mean he literally learned how to step on a switch or pull a switch. <laughs> he's a very interesting character. I never used him. Yeah, but the main thing from this is that we're worried that by because be- before you fight Kefka, you destroy the three statues and the three of like the warring triad by doing that, all the espers and all the magicite and all the magic is going to leave the world. Terra is half esper. So there's a worry that Terra is going to disappear too. And so the main story thing that I took from the credit sequence, other than like the little character moments we talked about is that, I mean, I think this is the end of the plot is that, we hear someone says, I don't remember who, but they say if Tara has a strong enough attachment to the human world, she can remain as a human. 
And it's her dad. I think she like has some weird. I think I'm trying to remember his name, like okay. Mad, Maduin or something like that. Yeah, Maduin, she has like yeah. a weird, like telepathic conversation, and where she basically asks her dad, like, "Hey, like, am I going to be cool about this?" Blah blah blah. And he's like, "Well, if you have the the fighting spirit of your mother, or if your human side is as strong as your Esper side, you're going to be all right." And that is like, it's 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 all of those little things in the world of Ruin where Tara recognizes, like, you know, her main purpose is. Is, is 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 love she she can understand these uh human emotions now and it's like that drive for her to be a normal human being that i think actually leads to her surviving i think if she hadn't figured out those things she might have died you know i i think it's kind of cool yeah i i took it to be that her connection with those kids the orphans was strong enough like her love that she had for them was strong enough for her to remain in the uh the human world but she's flying alongside the airship and then suddenly the magic is gone. So she falls and sets her has to like pilot the airship to catch her. Uh, and so she's going to live as a human for the rest of her life, basically. And that's the end of final fantasy six. So you beat Kefka and Tara survives everything. Everyone's basically happy except for shadow who sacrificed himself, not sacrificed. He just decided it was time, I guess. Yeah, and that's, you know, Shadow, uh, that was also kind of like his happy ending as well. Um, But it was really weird for a story with so much death and destruction that every single main playable character survived. Because in pretty much every other Final Fantasy game after that point, main characters died all the fucking time. So, you know. Yeah, I I think that Final Fantasy VII was the first one to really get into that. In this one, you didn't have like main characters dying, but you you did have the villain winning and destroying the world. So kind of a little step in that direction for sure. But everyone survives ex- except for Shadow, and that was his choice. So I bet he did survive too. He's just like chilling, watching Realm, like just being like, I could get closer, but I won't. <laughs> uh, so that's Final Fantasy VI. Good ass game. Like, uh, really enjoy the story. And I was really happy to make it to the end this time. Cause like, even though I didn't beat it, I never went and watched the ending on YouTube or anything. Like I said, I I had a feeling you'd go fight Kefka and win, but I didn't know how all these stories would play out. And so it was really cool to, to do that and to play that. So uh, thanks man for coming on this episode and talking about it with me. Oh, dude, this is I've been waiting since you started this podcast to do an episode on this. I would love to do an FF7 episode if you ever do it. I would love to do a tactics episode with you, dude. Those are like my those are like my uh, that that's my Triforce of like my all time favorite video games. And you asked me to do this. No hesitation. I was down. I know we had to do it a little earlier and uh, than we wanted to. And also, I basically said, hey, I'm not replaying this game again because I've done it so many times. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm glad you invited me on, man. If there's one game I want to talk about or one or two games I want to talk about, this is one of them. And I think we had a really like good, nuanced conversation about the basics of the game. And I had a lot of fun, buddy. Anytime yeah, you man. want, man. Of course, yeah. Always uh, always happy to have you on the show. Always happy to have you as probably the most common guest on the show. Yeah, anytime. So that is Final Fantasy VI. Thank you, everybody, for listening uh, this far. I appreciate you very much. And tune in next time for the next game to come out of the backlog. (laughs) 